Business and Buckets. Woo-wee! Do we have a show today? We got the NFL playoffs. Do a little accountability to see how my preseason predictions are. And you you know it. Big Ben rocking the jersey. Third week in a row. We still out there. They still got a chance in the playoffs. So I'm going to keep this jersey going as long as Big Ben's legacy lives on. But before we talk sports, we're talking the one and only sponsor here at Fueled Supplements. And we'll be releasing a business episode with Fueled Supplements um, Vice President Josh Morin here in a couple weeks. But hey, it's a new year. It's 2022. Everyone's got these New Year's resolutions. And summer, you know, it's right around the corner. That means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. Summertime will be here before you know it. So get your summertime shine with Fueled Supplements, Advanced Thermogenic, and Feel Good Formula Showtime. Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. Besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. For optimal results, stack with counterattack and get yours exclusively at fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off all products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, just like the table says. Now, we're going to jump in some headlines around the NFL. We're going to do an accountability, looking at some standings, talk about all the coaching moves that have happened, and just kind of recap where we're at prepping in the playoffs. A little send-off for the teams that didn't make the playoffs, but the black and gold, the black and yellow, still in, can't believe it. What a crazy, crazy weekend. So, first off, Anthony Lynn out as the Lions offensive coordinator. Anthony Lynn coaching the Chargers now out as the offensive coordinator. Tough digs for him. I don't know if he can be truly to blame for the offensive issues with the Lions. DeAndre Swift getting hurt. Jared Goff being the quarterback. But he is now a free agent looking for a new job. Probably the biggest surprise to me, the Dolphins firing Brian Flores. Like, what in the actual hell? You know, he had had a team overperform last year. He was able to have a good uh, momentum with the Dolphins heading in towards the end of the season here. And I think this one caught a little bit of pretty much everybody off guard. And uh, I'm assuming that he will get a, a another job most likely this offseason. And I've already seen that teams have been putting in requests to communicate with him and to interview him. The Giants fired Joe Judge. Um, this was a move that was a little bit not as what I'll say is it was expected that Joe judge was supposed to come back, right? The giants, you know, they've gone through a revolving door of coaching. I mean, it's the fucking football giants are just a, just a hodgepodge dumpster fire right now. And, um, they wanted to give Danny dimes an opportunity, give Joe judge one more opportunity. Well, I think all the harsh criticism of people in the media, probably people in the front office, Joe judge is no longer going to be the coach for the New York Giants. Um, and on the heels of that, their GM, Dave Gettleman, retires. So it's just kind of a hot mess. You know, he was probably like, yeah, I need to get out of here. Now's the time. But it seems like Danny Dimes will get one more run with a new head coach. But as a quarterback, getting a new head coach every single season 
It's not easy. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they are a dumpster fire. I don't assume that that will be fixed in the, in, in the short term. The Bears fire their general manager, Ryan Pace. Uh, they also fire uh, the head coach, as we had expected. So the Bears making moves, trying to get things right. They also have a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields, who had battled injuries throughout the year. But having you know Matt Nagy out the door, having a revolving door around coaching does not help. So hopefully they can find the right guy for the job. And, and they do have some playmakers and, you know, at least uh, they're, they're not the football giants, so to speak. And a move that a lot of people had rumored to be true that you just weren't too sure. Well, the Vikings fire Mike Zimmer and their uh, general manager, Rick Spielman. Uh, Mike Zimmer having multiple opportunities of a team that's fringe playoff. Um, the one story, you know, the fun year that they had in Minnesota, uh, um, going to the NFC championship, but every year it's almost playoff one and done. So they expect more. Uh, they have quite a bit of playmakers and Mike Zimmer's on the outs. Vic Fangio fired an offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer as well for the Broncos, the Broncos, a potential destination for some big free agent quarterbacks, much like they had done with Peyton Manning. So I assume that they're going to be making some power moves, trying to get a big name in that office. The defense, after the Von Miller trade, actually played really well. There's lots of playmakers offensively. They have a running back. Um, I believe Melvin Gordon is one more year. So two running backs. They have a young group of receivers. So it'll be interesting to see. And I believe he is the they, the Broncos are the betting favorite to land Aaron Rodgers. And with Aaron Rodgers, you could potentially get Devontae Adams as well. Taysom Hill. Uh, getting hurt this week, he's going to have Liz Frank surgery and is going to have to have another follow-up surgery with the Saints post Drew Brees. Obviously, Jameis Winston took over. He got hurt. Now they're dealing with Taysom Hill. They've gave Taysom Hill a ton of money. So I'm really, really interested to see what they're going to do for quarterback next year. Uh, if they try to give Jameis another chance, uh, do they hope that Taysom's healthy enough to play? Do they try to sign another quarterback? You know, that team does is in pretty good position outside of the quarterback, the man behind center. So it'll be interesting to see what they, they see as a better option trying to one draft a quarterback. Now that they miss the playoffs, they have a decent draft pick, you know, maybe a free agent, uh, maybe a veteran quarterback. So we'll, we'll see what's going to happen, but tough news for a guy that really hasn't done a tremendous amount for the saints, having injury, getting paid. Um, the future is going to be interesting with this situation. Vita Vea signed a four-year, $73 million extension. The ex-Husky, the big man in the middle, uh, doing huge things for the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers' defense is a great unit overall, but awesome to see him coming back from injury this year, playing good ball, and getting an extension. Well done, Mr. Vita Vea. The Browns, you know, you can never say this with certainty, but they are keeping Baker Mayfield. Um, this is a move that I had expected. Obviously, the shoulder injury, all the injuries that he's been dealing with this year. This year was just kind of a hot mess right out the gates. Um, you know, a lot of people want to criticize the Browns, saying he's not going to be the guy. He's the reason for the failures. But honestly, I think that he could have a solid football team, lead a solid football team. Is he going to be a perennial playoff AFC North contender, uh, a championship quarterback? Unlikely not. Is he better than Joe Burrow in the AFC North? Most likely not. Would I take Baker Mayfield over Lamar Jackson? Now, that's a conversation. Maybe that's a conversation we'll have in the offseason. Some AFC North fun, um, you know, ranking the quarterbacks in each division. That could be a fun one post-draft. 
Um, I'm actually going to mark that down right now. The bottom ranking QBs in every NFL division post NFL draft. You don't take the notes. It won't, it won't happen. So, um, I think that'd be a fun discussion. Uh, we're not going to have that discussion today. We have a ton to cover, but they are keeping Baker Mayfield and I'm not, I'm not against that decision. With all the drama, the Seahawks, you know, is Russell leaving? What's going on? The front office. It looks like Wilson's committed to staying. The team is committed to stay, uh, keeping Russell Wilson. Uh, Pete Carroll uncertain. So that's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. I can't imagine that they run it back with all the same pieces after what had happened this year. And the NFC West is the best division in football. And I expect that to translate into next year. Matt Stafford's not going anywhere. Kyler Murray and the young Cardinals team is only going to get better. Um, and the 49ers have a lot of youth as well. Plus, they're going to be moving on post-Jimmy Giera. Brutal news for us, for the Yinzers and us Steelers fans. Kevin Col Colbert expected to step down after the draft. His, he's been doing one-year contracts, which allows him to do the draft next year. So unless he, you know, takes a job somewhere else, does a Dick LeBeau, and, and wants to do a draft with another team, he will be with the Steelers through the offseason, through the NFL draft, which is a huge one with potential quarterback positioning um, and, and expectations to draft a quarterback. So... Uh, brutal though, because Kevin has been an amazing general manager, uh, what he can do with the salary cap, what he's done for flexibility of their roster, continually putting in winning rosters, no losing seasons. That's going to be hard to replace with the Roonies. You'd expect them to make the better decisions, you know, looking how they had handled post Bill Cowher transition into Mike Tomlin. I'm sure they'll find a guy in house, a guy with a lot of experience or a very well resumed external candidate to fill the job, but still, you know, that gives you a little extra uncertainty. You know, let's ride the Big Ben train while we can up in Kansas City. But then from there, there's so many things that need to be fixed. So many things that need to be, um, you know, discussed internally for the Steelers and things that need to be executed on. So it's it's, it's going to be a whirlwind of an offseason. Another um, veteran quarterback staying with the franchise. The Falcons have announced that they are bringing back Matt Ryan next year. I'm not tremendously surprised about this move either. Uh, Matt Ryan's playing decent ball. He had not have, you know, with, especially with Calvin Ridley taking the year off with mental issues or whatever we want to chalk it up as, you know, there's rumors he might want to leave now. So maybe he just didn't want to play there. So their best unit or their best positional players being the rookie Kevin or uh, Kyle Pitts, also having Russell Gage post Julio Jones. It's not like he had a tremendous amount of weapons. You know, Mike Davis was averaging probably like 3.4 yards a carry. And then uh, Corderell Patterson ended up blossoming into a Swiss Army knife. Um, but, you know, Matt Ryan can still play some football. It's, it's great to see a franchise committing to a veteran like that, like the Steelers did with Big, uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger. For a playoff team, this is brutal, brutal news. Uh, safety Jordan Fuller out for the playoffs with the Rams. Uh, he had got hurt in the last game. We'll, we'll dissect that game later. But, you know, there's a lot of different things that have showcased of – Basically, the Rams started off good. Sean McVay's in the end zone, like turning up. The refs like get the hell off. And from there, Jordan Fuller gets hurt. And the rest of the game just becomes a, a disaster for the Rams, really. And I think a big reason being is because Jordan Fuller was out of the lineup. And due to that, 37-year-old, multiple pro bowler, very familiar with this man playing for the Baltimore Ravens, 
Eric Weddle is coming out of retirement to play for the Rams. You know, this is crazy. I don't know if Sean McVay said, what kind of money do I have to pay you to come and play some playoff football? I don't know if they've been in discussions with this guy to make sure that he's in shape. You know, is he in shape? There, there's a difference of being in shape, looking good versus being playoff in shape, covering uh, the, 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 the back thirds of the football field. Um, I, I'm not too sure if I'm willing to assume that this is going to be a great move. You know, it, the, he is going to give them veteran experience, is going to help communicate with the other guys, be a leader. Um, I'm not too sure what to think about this. I don't think this is really going to benefit the Rams in the long run. Um, it also takes away a younger player getting that opportunity, but they obviously don't trust in their youth in that position. So uh, I thought this was very interesting. I don't assume this is going to be a perfect, you know, put Eric Weddle in and he's going to be a game changer in, in the secondary. Defensive lineman Darius Phylon is out for the playoffs with a torn patellar tendon for the Raiders. After that wild Sunday night football game, he left the field, but a guy that had been disruptive up the middle, helping Max Crosby and the crew be able to get quarterback pressure. This is a big loss for the Raiders as they look to get a playoff win for the first time in quite some time. But I got to give props to my Steelers where credit is due. Um, I had on this show, we'll talk about it, talked about the Steelers winning the AFC North. Um, probably one of the very few that had done that. A lot of people had the Steelers ranked third in the division. I've even seen some people that had picked them fourth in the division. But technically, they were a, a Bengals win away. You know, they, they get a loss instead of a win. They lose to the Chiefs from winning the division. Um, I think that's cr crazy to think with all of the things that have happened with the Steelers, losing Alu-Alu, not having to at return, going through... Um, different issues with the with the offensive coordinator, the young offensive line, having the toughest ranked schedule in the NFL, and they were able to get that far. Um, really, it just shows a world-class organization. You see a lot of these teams that get in um, consistently, and they might not have the best talent, but it comes down to leadership, culture, the front office, and the coach, and goddamn, I'm proud of my Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think I've had such a crazy emotional roller coaster as I had on Sunday after the Colts somehow lost to the Jaguars, um, which we'll talk and Hard Knocks covered. The, the Steelers finding a way to win in overtime with the fourth and eight conversion had been crazy enough, let alone Sunday actually fucking comes down to overtime and gets that close. And uh, my heart was pounding. You know, that the, the timeout seemed to potentially save the Steelers' lives. And Daniel Carlson and the Raiders, bravo, bravo for not make, uh, going for the tie. Uh, but what a fucking season. I'm so happy. I thought about going to Kansas City. Me and a friend ended up not being able to make that happen. Uh, but do I expect the Steelers to beat the Chiefs? Absolutely not. Um, but would it have been fun to go have a good time? not worry about anything, going to a game, not really having expectations. Like Big Ben said, having some fun and seeing the last potential game in a crazy Arrowhead Stadium that I have not been to yet uh, would have been a lot of fun. But got to give the Steelers some props because goddamn, everyone wants to doubt them, hate them. No one gives them any credit. Ben's washed, this and that. But we out here. They made it. They did it. Mike Tomlin, the Roonies, the front office, everybody, massive respect, massive respect from business and buckets. Another guy that needs massive respect, FCS, Eastern Washington alum, Cooper Cup falls 18 yards shy of the record for Calvin Johnson and the most receiving yards in NFL history. 
and he's the fourth receiver ever, though, to get the Triple Crown. He led the league in receptions with 145, led the league in receiving yards at 1,947, and he had 16 touchdowns, one accomplishment, one of the, the fourth receiver ever to do that. I mean, what one hell of a season, and he's still very young, and he's only going to get better. Can't wait to tune in and watch to see what Cooper Cup can do. And then last headline, Sam Darnold is going to be back with Carolina. A lot of people is going to want to, you know, shame, shame, shame the Panthers. You know, they are paying Cam Newton. They are paying P.J. Walker. They gave him another year on his contract. And I believe, oh, and they were paying Teddy Bridgewater. So, you know, what kind of flex flexible options you have unless you try to do something like trade Christian McCaffrey, get rid of some salary. And, and does Sam Darnold have to be the answer? No. Was he in a good position to be successful with Carolina this year with some of their injuries and, and everything else and his injury? Absolutely not. Could he turn it around next year? I do believe so. So much like the Matt Ryan decision, the Baker Mayfield decision, I am not really against this decision. You know, I was pro um, a proponent for Sam Darnold going to the Steelers. The Steelers trying to make a move for him. Um, so I, I do think he is worthy of another shot. Do I think it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies next year? Most likely not. Um, but could he surprise and, and, and get a, a Panther team competitive? Absolutely. So um, I'm not against it. A lot of people are going to criticize this, uh, but the Panthers making a good decision in my mind. It's not like they had a, a bunch of choices, though. So let's talk about last week, the final week in NFL, the first ever week 18 in the NFL. Then we're going to look at the standings, recap um, how I had done on my preseason pr predictions, and then we'll talk about the playoff matchups. So this week we had started with some Saturday football, the Chiefs beating the Broncos 28-24, to a lot more competitive game than you would expect. And then the Cowboys just blowing the doors off the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles and the Cowboys both missing uh, quite a bit of playmakers due to this kind of being a meaningless game as they both had playoffs locked in with some COVID issues, this and that. But for the Chiefs, uh, when we look at this game, this isn't really the, the momentum that you want heading into the postseason. You know, granted, they didn't have Clyde's Edwards Hilaire. Their run game wasn't very existent. But McCole Hardman leading the team again. Brian Pringle, you know, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill battling injuries. This isn't really, you know, they missed on the one seed. This isn't really the, the picture-perfect way to, to, to momentum momenticize your way into the postseason. Granted, they do get a host the lowest seed in the Pittsburgh Steelers in their home stadium, which is going to be a huge benefit. This one was on the road. I think this could be more chalked up to their players, not really, you know, being up and up for this game and, and battle tested. They're probably, you know, 18 weeks in an NFL season. They're feeling injured, beat down a little bit, but they still find found a way to win. And I think that's huge. Pat Mahomes, 27 of 44, 270 yards and two touchdowns. He has been turnover free for quite some time. And even if he did have some, it wasn't as consistent as early in the season. And that's going to be the biggest thing for the Chiefs to be able to get back to the Super Bowl is to have turnoverless football. Again, like I said, the running game wasn't very existent. They had 29 carries and 135 yards as a unit, but they were led by Pat Mahomes, who did have the ball nine times for 54 yards. He did have a long run of 25. And then Derek Gore led the way with seven carries for 30 yards, the 4.3 average. 
uh, Jarek McKinnon getting some action, a guy that's had quite a career through many teams, had some opportunities, battled some injuries. He, he gets life within an NFL contender. He had five carries for 24 yards. It's a 4.8 average. And then Darrell Williams also getting seven carries for 17 yards, but only a 2.4 average, which is not going to cut it. And like I said, McCole Hardman led the receiving core. Eight catches, 103 yards. Brian Pringle had 56, although um, Tyree Kill got hurt and Kelsey was battling some injury issues. He did find a way to get a touchdown. And Mr. Jarek McKinnon actually had three catches for 26 yards and a touchdown as well. So he's getting involved in the offense. It'll be interesting to see uh, Clyde Edwards is expected to play, you know, how they manage this. If they give these guys as many carries, it's hard to get momentum and get consistent r running action out of running backs when everyone's getting five carries. No one really gets the ability to have that momentum. Um, and the Steelers have the worst running defense in the NFL, so they're going to need to take advantage about that uh, on that, and we're going to talk about that once we, we digest the, the matchup here. For the Broncos, Drew Locke uh, led the way again. Teddy Bridgewater not in action. He was 12 of 24, 162 yards. Uh, much like the the Chiefs' uh, attempt to have a nice, you know, momentum and confidence in the postseason, this doesn't give the Broncos a lot of confidence of him being a, a potential future quarterback for for the uh, Broncos. Obviously, the game was close, but I don't think that he showed the aha moments, the it factors, or things that really has you excited in the Denver front office. Uh, Melvin Gordon had 12 carries for 110 yards. It's a very impressive 9.2 per carry average, and he had a, a, a touchdown and a 47-yard long run. And then Javante Williams also had 12 carries, but the rookie only had 46 yards. It's a 3.8 average, uh, but they were able to run well on the Chiefs' offense or defense, which the Steelers are going to need a lot of nausea to find a way to win. Uh, the receiving core is led by Tim Patrick, six catches, 95 yards, and Melvin Gordon did lose a fumble. Defensively for the Broncos, Michael Ajamudia had 11 tackles and two passes defended. Uh, they got to uh, Pat Mahomes one time with no turnovers, and for the Chiefs, they only got one sack on Drew Locke, no turnovers for them defensively or standouts. The Broncos were an impressive 7 of 12 on third down. The Chiefs were 8 of 14 and 1 for 1 on 4th, so good conversion rates on the day. The Chiefs out-yarded the, the Broncos by 26 yards. Uh, they were plus 1 in the turnover department, um, 1 to 0, and they out-possessed the Broncos by 7 minutes. For this ugly NFC East battle on Saturday, the Cowboys blew the doors off the Eagles, like I had said. Dak Prescott, 21 of 27, 295 yards and five touchdowns. This would have been great for my fantasy football team, but I did not have that luxury through the season. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott getting some, some action pre-postseason. He had 18 carries for 87 yards. It's a respectable 4.8 yards per carry, and that was without Tony Pollard. Uh, so Corey Clement pitched in seven carries for 58 yards, the ex-Eagle. Uh, Cedric Wilson, Dak's favorite guy, his practice target, getting five catches for 119 yards and two touchdowns. And this wasn't because Cooper or Lamb didn't play. Did they play a lot? No. But uh, uh, Cedric Wilson uh, having a huge money day for the Cowboys offense. There's just lots of weapons, even without um, Michael Gallup on the team. Gardner Minshew starting for Jalen Hurts. He was 19 of 33, 186 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick for an 81 rating and a 46.4 QBR. 
He has shown some flashes. He did really good in his first uh, game for Jalen Hurts. Um, I do think he is a true NFL backup quarterback. I'm sure he's going to want to fight somewhere to be a starter, uh, but he does have some flair, some grit to him that, that is attracting uh, attractive for an NFL team. Now, Kenneth Gainwell, 12 carries for 78 yards. It's a 6.5 average. He found the end zone as well. And then Jason Huntley getting some action with 13 carries for 51 yards. Jason Huntley is a second-year running back out of New Mexico State. Uh, he averaged 3.9 per carry. And then Quez Watkins led the team in receiving five catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. Now, on the Eagles' defense, they only got to Dak Prescott one time, no interceptions or standouts defensively. And the Cowboys' defense was able to get to Gardner Minshew three times, but no standouts defensively besides Leighton Van Der Esch, Boise State alum, getting an interception on the afternoon. Now, the Eagles were 10 of 18 on third down, 3 for 3 on fourth down. The Cowboys, 8 of 13 on third down, 2 for 2 on fourth. These teams are playing playoff-level football with their conversion rates. Uh, but the Cowboys out-yarded the Eagles by 160 yards. Um, the Eagles were minus 1 in the turnover department, 1 to 0. And the Eagles out-possessed the Cowboys by 5 minutes. So then Sunday's action. Sunday morning. Everyone's got their eyes on a few things. Steelers-Ravens, as both teams still have an opportunity. Colts-Jaguars, as that's a pivotal game um, for, for the other team's playoff hopes. And we'll, we'll start right here with Steelers-Ravens. There was rumors that this would be flexed into Sunday Night Football. They did the Chargers-Raiders because it was most likely win and get in. Uh, but this is really what this game came down to as well. And the Steelers find a way to scrape by, as they typically do. Big Ben sweeping the Ravens in his final season, 16-13. And Big Ben was 30-44, 244 yards, a touchdown and a pick. A very Ben-like uh, stat line this year. Um, he only is averaging 5.5 yards per pass. Uh, Chase Claypool led the way for the rushing department. They got some Matt Canada offense re-injected with some jet sweeps. He had 33 yards, and a lot of this was because Najee Harris uh, was out for most of the game with an elbow injury. He did get 11 carries for 28 yards. It's a 2.5 per average. And Benny Snell, when Najee got hurt, got some action. He got 12 carries, but only amassed 22 yards. It's a terrible 1.8 per average. The receiving was led by rookie tight end. What a season he's had. Pat Fryermuth, the next Heath Miller, six catches for 53 yards. Chase Claypool had a touchdown reception as well. For the Ravens, no Lamar Jackson. Tyler Huntley was 16 for 31, 141 yards and two interceptions. Two interceptions were the pivotal pieces in the game that lost it for the Ravens. Welcome to AFC North and Steelers-Ravens rivalry, Mr. Tyler Huntley. Uh, Latavius Murray, hot damn what a day he had running up the A-gaps and the Steelers cannot find a way. Uh, Devin Bush, the linebacking crew, needs to figure it out. Uh, but Latavius Murray, 16 carries, 150 yards. It's a 9.4 average and a touchdown. Tyler Huntley chimped in as well. 12 carries for 72 yards. He averaged six per carry. And obviously the receiving led by Oklahoma's finest, Mark Andrews, eight catches, 85 yards. Tyler Huntley did also lose a fumble, so he had three turnovers on a day. Um... Well, he received it. He lost, and then they recovered it. Um, for the Ravens' defense, they, they sacked Big Ben one time as a unit. Geno Stone ended up with the interception. 
for the Steelers defense. They got three sacks on uh, Mr. Huntley. One of those, which was kind of robbery in my opinion, by Mr. TJ Watt, who should be the unanimous defensive player of the year, tying Michael Strahan's record for 22 and a half sacks in an NFL season, which is the most in history uh, since uh, sacks have been statistically um, accurate. But TJ Watt had five tackles, um, a sack, a tackle for a loss, a pass defended, and three QB hits. Have a day, sir. And Cam Sutton and Trail Edmonds with interceptions. That Cam Sutton interception in the end zone was a game changer. Now the Ravens offense, three of 14 on third down, one for two on fourth. Those are brutal numbers. The Steelers, six of 17 on third down, one for one on fourth. Not much better. The Ravens out-yarded the Steelers by 70 yards, but they lost the turnover battle 3-1, to one, and the Steelers out-possessed the Ravens by five minutes. Another AFC North matchup, but this one pretty meaningless as a bunch of backups were in the game. The Browns beat the Bengals 21-16. Brendan Allen in for Baker Mayfield 15-29, 136 yards uh, and a touchdown. Travion Williams, nine carries for 38 yards. I don't even know who Travion Williams is. I thought we'd see Samaj Pirine. Um, Travion is a third-year running back out of Texas A&M. All three years with the Bengals, not getting much action. Trent Taylor led the team in receiving two catches, 41 yards. And for the Browns, Case Keenum, 17-24, 176 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. He's damn near as similar as Baker Mayfield as you can get. It is kind of ironic. He just doesn't have that poison moxie that Baker does. And maybe the, uh, I would say they both have the toughness. And then the rushing game led by Dearness Johnson getting more action. 25 carries, 123 yards. It's a 4.9 average and a touchdown. I'm not sure what his contract situation is, but this is a guy that other teams should definitely be looking at. Let's see if I could figure this out quickly. Botrack says he is a free agent next year. So with Cream Hunt, with Mr. Nick Chubb, Dearness Johnson should find a home somewhere, uh, whether the Browns want to keep him or not. Uh, he has proved to be quite the running back the past couple of years. And then Jarvis Landry leading the team in, rece in receiving yards, six catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Case Keenum did lose a fumble on the day. The Browns defense had four sacks on Brendan Allen, two of them from Jadavion Clowney, who had two tackles, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, and two QB hits. And for the Bengals defense, Clay Johnston with 12 tackles, Marcus Bailey with 11 tackles and a pass defended, and Mike Hilton, the ex-stealer, with an interception on the day. The Browns are 6-12 on third, 0-1 on fourth. The Bengals 5-14 on third, 1-1 on fourth. Um... The Browns out-yarded the Bengals by 180, but they did lose the turnover battle 2-0 and out-possessed the Bengals by seven minutes. They were up big for quite a while. The Bengals made an attempt to come back. Um, not very often you get a win and a minus-two turnover differential, but they out-yarded them by 180. That's wild. And then a game that, that ruined some betting for me. I didn't think the Packers would completely lay over in this game. 
Uh, the Lions started out hot, but I had, I had bet on the Packers, assuming that most of their starters would play longer. That wasn't the case. But the Lions get a, a, a good way to wrap their season up with a win to go to 313-1. They beat the Packers 37-30. Jared Goff was 21-30, 238 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Jamal Williams had 13 carries for 43 yards. Amron St. Brown, what a season he had. Did he? I, I believe this got him over 1,000 yards. Uh, I don't know if that's updated. Well, it looks like he just fell short, but he had 109 yards and a touchdown. Khalif Raymond, 101 yards and a touchdown as well. For the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, 14 of 18, 138 yards and two touchdowns. Jordan Love came in second half, 10 of 17, 134 yards, a touchdown and two picks. Um, from what I've seen on Jordan Love, can he play some solid football? Is he still young and learning? Absolutely. But uh, it's going to be... A rough patch if Rodgers does, in fact, leave the team. But coming up, I got my Super Bowl predictions. You know, maybe Rodgers wins the Super Bowl in Green Bay. You know, maybe he retires, goes off into the sunset. But maybe he thinks about staying. So who knows? But if you're Packers fans, I'm sure the anxiety levels are at an all-time high. A.J. Dillon, a huge piece that they're, he's going to be in their playoff run. 14 carries for 63 yards. It's a 4.5 average. Alan Lazard with 75 yards on five catches for two touchdowns. Mr. Lazard getting some late season action. Uh, Jawan Winfrey did lose a fumble for the Packers. The Packers only got to Jared Goff one time as a unit with no standout performances. And then the Lions defense, Mr. Tracy Walker III, 14 tackles and a pass defended. They got to the QBs for the uh, Packers four times. Two of those from Julian Aquara who had three tackles, two sacks, and two QB hits. And then C.J. Moore and Tracy Walker the third with interceptions for the Lions. A nice little um, conscious victory for the Lions finishing the season. A moral booster. And then in the NFC North, the Vikings taking it to the Bears 31-17. Kirk Cousins was 14-22, 250 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, you know, getting that momentum, his future being uncertain with the new coaching, you know, what, what's the, the future of the Vikings. So he's playing some pretty consistent football. As long as it's not prime time, it seems like you put Kirk cousins and Sunday night football, Monday night football, he falls apart, but played good in this game. Dalvin cook, 14 carries for 79 yards. It's a 5.6 average. And then Justin Jefferson, five catches, getting the gritty 107 yards and a touchdown. And then Amir Smith, Marset, three catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown as well. For the Bears, Andy Dalton trying to fight for his NFL career. He goes 33 for 48, throwing the ball 48 times. 325 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. It's a 23.9 QBR. I don't know how I feel about Andy Dalton's future. Could he be a backup quarterback? Yes, but I think his days of starting are over. Uh, David Montgomery, 20 carries, 72 yards, is a 3.6 average. Uh, not a very good average, but getting some action. He's had a good season. He ended up finishing just shy of 1,000 yards, although he was hurt for some time. And Dar Mooney, Darnell Mooney, what a season he's had. And he might have to thank uh, Andy Dalton a lot for this as he just went his way. But he finishes over 1,000 yards. He had 12 catches on 16 targets. 126 yards. This guy getting damn near 20 targets when Dalton's behind center. Uh, but he had performed and done well. 
And then um, for the Bears defense, no standouts defensively. They got three sacks on Kirk Cousins as a unit. For the, the Vikings, Anthony Barr with 11 tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. DJ Wanham, seven total tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits as well. And that's not it. Kenny uh, Willicks wanted in. He had three tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, a pass defended, and three QB hits as they got to Dalton seven times. You know, part of that is some of the pocket awareness and mobility issues with Dalton this late in his career, but also that offensive line just not doing very well. But what a day for the Bears or Vikings defense. Patrick Peterson and Blake Lynch also getting interceptions. The Vikings finished 7-13 on third down. The Bears were 5-15, 1-6 on fourth. The uh, Bears did out-yard the Vikings by 25 yards, but were minus 2 in the turnover differential, and they did outpossess the Vikings by 13 minutes. And this game was pretty yucky as well. The NFC East dumpster fire of a division. WFT beating the Giants, the football dumpster fire Giants, 22-7. And this very well could have been the game that put the coffin in Joe Judge. Uh, but Heineke was 9 of 18, 120 yards. It was really the Antonio Gibson show. 21 carries for 146 yards. It's a very nice 7 per carry average. He also did get a touchdown in a long run of 27 yards. And then Terry McLaurin, uh, as usual, leading the way for the receivers. Four catches, 93 yards. He has another 1,000-yard season in that messy team, e even though he plays for the WFT. Name change coming soon. Jake Fromm trying to show that he is an NFL quarterback. 15 to 31, 103 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. That's four picks in two games. Don't think that's going to get it done. Uh, he did lead the way with the in the running department for the Giants. Five catches, 53 yards. And then Saquon Barkley, 11 carries, but only 30 yards. is a 2.7 average. Also a season for him to forget. And Darius Slayton led the team in receiving 29 yards, one touchdown. Kenny Galladay only with 22 yards. What a disappointing season after the big contract for Kenny Galladay. Jake Fromm also losing a fumble. Now for the Giants' uh, defense, Tay Crowder with 12 tackles and a tackle for a loss. They were able to get to Heineke three times as a unit. For the WFT defense, Cole Holcomb, 11 tackles. They were able to get to Jake Fromm three times as a unit as well. But Bobby McCain, two interceptions on the day. Now the Giants ended up finishing... 6 of 17 on third, 2 for fourth, uh, 2 for 4 on fourth. WFT was 3 of 3 13, 1 for 1 on fourth. Usually don't win a game 3 for 13, but it's the football giants you get the job done. Um Washington out yards the Giants by 150 yards. Whoops. They did win the turnover differential 3 to 0, so they were plus 3. And WFT outpossessed the Giants by five minutes as well. Moving on, the game that gave so many gifts. You know, I watched Hard Knocks last night. Today's Thursday morning. That comes out on Wednesdays. And it was just a heartbreaking story to see that locker room. I had said when the first ever in-season Hard Knocks came out that the Colts is going to be a fun subject for me. I'm rooting for Carson Wentz and my pro Carson Wentz at this point. Probably not. But... 
Um, rooting for him, rooting for the team. Jonathan Taylor, lots of cool pieces. The Maniac, Darius Leonard. And they had an opportunity two weeks in a row where they're favored both times, one at home, one on the road. Clown suits and all. The Jaguars fans literally wearing clown suits to clown their uh, their ownership. Just take it to the Colts. The Colts are dealing with some injuries, but that's inexcusable. But Trevor Lawrence getting some momentum. I can't wait to see who coaches that team next year and see what this kid could do because he was looking like Joe Montana in this game. The Jaguars did win 26-11. to Trevor Lawrence, 23 of 32, 223 yards and two touchdowns. A lot of this was due to just a lot of time in the pocket, no pass rush, uh, DeForest Buckner being hurt, and some other guys on the defense. And then Raquel Armstead led the team in rushing, nine carries for 52 yards. It's a 5.8 average. Uh, Dare Ogunwale also had 11 carries but only had 30 yards. It's a 2.7 average. It's not going to get the job done. And how about Mr. Marvin Jones? Seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Laquan Treadwell also finding the end zone. We had talked about their purgatory of receiving core. They showed out that day. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. A lot of the props to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but have a day, Jacksonville, as they go to 3-14. and 14. Carson Wentz, 17-29, 185 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. He had a 4.4 QBR, 74.6 uh, rating. That interception was definitely a backbreaker, not necessarily all his fault. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you'd assume he'd get 25 to 30 carries in this game just to win the game. He only got 15, did have 77 yards. It's a 5.1 average. Why they didn't give him the ball more, especially early in the game. The game plan for Indianapolis just did not make any sense to me. Um, so a lot of that should be put on Reich and the, and, and the coaching staff. Um, give that guy the ball more. Uh, Michael Pittman. Uh, six uh, carries, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Carson Wentz also lost a fumble. It was a, a, a sack fumble. For the defense, for the Colts, Kenny Moore, the second. Ten tackles, a tackle for a loss, even though he was hurt, went out, and came back in. Um, that They only had one sack as a unit on Trevor Lawrence. And then the Jaguars' defense was able to get to Carson Wentz six times. Six times. Two of those were from the defensive player, Josh Allen, Four tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. And Damian Wilson had the interception for the Jags. The Jags, an, a, a nice 7 of 15 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Colts, 4 of 12 on third, 2 for 5 on fourth. The Jaguars outyarded the uh, Colts by 80 yards. They were uh, The Jaguars were plus 2 in the turnover differential, 2 to 0. And the Jaguars outpossessed the Colts by 7 minutes. Then we had the Titans escaping the Texans. The Titans were up early. Uh, this was for the Titans' opportunity to, to, to clinch the one seed, so there was meaning behind the game. Uh, but the Texans fighting back. Davis Mills and the Texans, they, they've been scrapping their way through the season. Although they only had four wins, I was impressed. Especially with all the Deshaun Watson drama and, and the coaching drama and everything else. Ryan Tannehill, 23 of 32, 287 yards and four touchdowns. You know, I gave props to him last week, but God damn, what a season he's had with all the adversity. They find themselves with the one seed in the AFC. I would have never guessed. And uh, a lot of it has to be, a lot of the props have to be given to Mr. Tannehill. 
And then Dante Foreman, 21 carries, 69 yards. It's a 3.3 average. Uh, him and Hilliard have been carrying the load before King Henry is back. Dontrell Hilliard, nine catch or nine carries, 57 yards. That's a nice 6.3 average. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akeen, led the team in receiving 78 yards and a touchdown. AJ Brown and Julio Jones getting touchdowns as well. Getting that, you know, AJ Brown's obviously got the confidence. He's been balling, balling. Uh, but Julio Jones getting that confidence, having that health back just in time for the playoffs could be a scary thing for the other teams in the AFC. Uh, the Texans, Davis Mills, 23 of 33, 301 yards and three touchdowns. You know, what an awesome end of the season he has had. Um, you know, rumors of the Texans potentially looking at him being the quarterback next year. And David Johnson leading the team in rushing five carries, 28 yards. Only five carries, but an impressive 5.6 per average. And Rex Burkhead getting 12 carries, the newly signed Rex Burkhead, but only 24 yards. Easy math, a terrible two yards per carry. And how about Danny fucking Amendola? Seven catches, a buck 13 and two touchdowns to, to end the season with a stamp for the Texans. The Texans defense got to Tannehill once, no standouts defensively. Zach Cunningham for the Titans, 10 tackles, two tackles for a loss. They were able to get to Davis Mills two times as a unit. The Texans were 4 of 11 on third, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Titans 8 for 13 on third. The Titans out-yarded the Texans by 50 yards. Um, neither team turned the ball over, and the Titans out-possessed the Texans by seven minutes. The Saints needing a win to get in uh, and a uh, 49ers loss. That did not happen. They did win. They beat the Falcons 30-20. to And much like the Texans, although a much better record, the Falcons scrapped. You know, they didn't have the talent. They had a lot of issues, but they scrapped and they fought. And even in this game against a very good defense, put up 20 points. Um, Taysom Hill, before he was hurt, was 7 of 9, 107 yards and a touchdown. Trevor Simeon came in and looked very good as well. 9 of 15, 71 yards and two touchdowns. And much like the Texans or the uh, Colts, we need a win to get in. Who are we going to give the ball to? They gave it to Kamara. We're going to give it to him not 10, not 20, but 30 damn times. He gets 30 carries for 146 yards. It's a 4.9 average. Uh, Traquan Smith leading the team in receiving with a nasty touchdown catch. Five catches, 76 yards, a long catch of 34. For the Dirty Birds offense, Matt Ryan, 20-33, 216 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Mike Davis led the team in rushing six carries for 30 yards. It's a nice 5-yard uh, per carry average. And Russell Gage leading the team in receiving nine catches, 126 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Mike Davis did lose two fumbles, though, so that is not great at all. The Falcons defense, what a fucking season this man has had. I mean, what year is this? We've we've looked at this guy a million times, but I'm just so impressed. This is year three from Yale. Foisade, Alukin, 13 tackles on the day. They were able to get to the Saints quarterbacks one time. And Sean Williams with 11 tackles. The Saints defense was able to get to Matt Ryan three times as a unit. No standouts defensively, but Paulson Adebo with the interception. The Falcons finished 3 of 10 on third down, 2 for 3 on fourth. The Saints 8 for 16 on third down. Very nice. They out-yarded the Falcons by 110. 
and they were plus three in the turnover differential, zero to three, and outpossessed the Falcons by 19 minutes. The fact that this was that close is, is kind of surprising. I know that the the, the Falcons had a, a little bit of a late run. And the Bills leaving no doubt. They demolished the New York Jets with their rookie quarterback, uh, thirty or 27 to 10. Josh Allen was 24 of 45, 239 yards and two touchdowns. Devin Singletary, we had talked, or I had talked about how important it is to give this man momentum and confidence in the playoffs because they're going to need to run the football. We had 19 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. It's a 4.6 average. Josh Allen chipped in 63 running yards as well. And of course, Mr. Stephon Diggs leading the way for uh, the receiving core. Nine catches on 14 targets for 81 yards and a touchdown. For the Jets, Zach Wilson, 7 of 20, 87 yards and a touchdown. A game to forget to finish the season. Uh, he ran the ball for 24 yards, which surprisingly led the way for the Jets. Although Michael Carter did get nine carries, but only had 19 yards. It's a 2.1 per carry average. And then Keelan Cole led the team in receiving. Three catches, 54 yards and a touchdown. The Jets defense was led by the big money free agent acquisition, CJ Mosley, 13 care or 13 tackles and a QB hit. They got no sacks on Josh Allen as a unit. The Bills as a unit had nine sacks on Zach Wilson. Mario Addison, four tackles, two of them things, two of them sacks, a tackle for a loss and a QB hit. Hey, Jordan Poyer wants in as a safety. Four tackles, two uh, sacks, two tackles for a loss, and a QB hit. And Oliver wants in. Four tackles, a sack and a half, a ta two tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. Um, what a day for the Bills' uh, uh, edge rush, which is going to be huge, huge for them in the playoffs, and they're going to need them to execute really good football. The Bills were 8 of 18 in third down, 0 for 1 on fourth. The Jets one for 14 on third down, one for one on fourth. The Bills out yarded the Jets. Oh my, I got to do the exact math. This is so ridiculous. 424 yards to 53 by 371 yards. Do you guys believe in Zach Wilson still? Um, neither team turned the ball over surprisingly. But the Bills outpossessed the Jets by 14 minutos. What an overtime game in the afternoon. The battle in the NFC West. A battle for a playoff position. Uh, and a battle for the opportunity for the Rams to win the division. They couldn't get it done. The Niners find a way in the playoffs. In overtime, 27-24. to 24. A lot of these game meaningful games. So one of the best weeks of football I'd seen. This game, the Steelers games, and some other were about to break down. Uh, but Jimmy G playing not amazing, but you, you give Jimmy G the end of the game and he somehow finds a way to flourish. He finished 23 of 32, 316 yards, a touchdown and two picks. Elijah Mitchell back running the rock, 21 carries, 85 yards. It's a four point average. And then Brandon Ayuk led the team in receiving with six catches for 107 yards for the Rams. Matt Stafford, 21 to 32. 238 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. Sonny Michelle led the way. Although Cam Akers is back, he only had five carries. Sonny Michelle, 21 carries, 43 yards. It's a terrible two per uh, carry average. And then Cooper Cup, seven catches, 118 yards, and a touchdown. 
The Rams defense had three sacks as a unit. Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp with interceptions. The Niners, Dre Greenlaw with 12 tackles at a QB hit. They were able to get to Matt Stafford five times. Two and a half of those by Eric Armstead. Seven tackles, two and a half sacks, two tackles for a loss, and three QB hits. And Emmanuel Mosley and Ombre Thomas with interceptions. The Rams had a nice 10-17 conversion rate on third down. One for one on fourth. The Niners doing well as well at that as well. 9 of 14 on third down. The Niners did out yard the um, Rams by 180. Both teams had two turnovers, and the Rams or the Niners outpossessed the Rams by five minutes. A surprising game here. Um, I guess it's not super surprising. The, the, the Pats are in the playoffs, but you'd expect them to try to gain some momentum against a divisional opponent on the road. Well, the Dolphins finishing the season strong, beating the Pats 33-24. Tua, 15-22, 109 yards and a touchdown. Duke Johnson, what an awesome late-season acquisition that was for the Finns. 25 carries, 117 yards. It's a 4.7 average and a touchdown. Phillip Lindsay got 11 carries for 40 yards as well. That's right under a 4-yard uh, per carry average. Uh, seeming to take over Miles Gaskin and... Um, the other running backs on that depth chart. I'm forgetting his name. Ex-Husky back. Durham Smith led the team in receiving, though. Two catches for 32 yards. It was it was a lot of the run game uh, doing the, the damage against the Pats. Mac Jones, 20-30, 261 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Brandon Bolden, seven carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Although uh, Damian Harris had 11 carries, he only had 37 yards did find a way to get a touchdown. That's a 3.4 average. Hunter Henry had five catches for 86 yards to lead the team in receiving. Jacoby Myers did lose a fumble as well as Mac Jones. For the uh, Patriots defense, Jawan Bentley, 17 tackles. Adrian Phillips, 11 tackles and a pass defended. They found a way to get to 2 one time as a unit. The Dolphins defense, two sacks on Mac Jones as a unit. No standouts defensively. But Xavier Howard doing what he does best, finishing the season with an interception. The Dolphins were 7-15 on third down, 0-1 on fourth. The Pats 5-10 on third down. The Pats out-yarded the Dolphins by 80 yards. But they lost the turnover battle 3-0. And the Dolphins outpossessed the Pats by 7 minutes. What another fun game we had in the NFC West. This division was going to be bonkers. We knew that. Russell Wilson, 15 of 26, 238 yards, three touchdowns and an interception in the victory over the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals were trying to go for the division win, um, but both them and the Rams lost, so the, the Rams get the division. Russell Wilson was putting some beautiful balls out there as well. A lot of people wanted to put the blame on him this season that he's not doing good. He's you know coming towards a decline. It was all the finger, man. He shouldn't have really been playing, but they didn't have a lot of better options, and he was balling in this game. Uh, a, a man that's been balling, fighting for his NFL life, Rashad Penny, the ex-first-round draft pick, 23 carries, 109 yards, and a touchdown. That is an 8.3 average. And Tyler Lockett getting the beautiful balls for Mr. Russell Wilson, five catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. For the... Uh, 
Cardinals offense, Kyler Murray, 28 to 39, 240 yards and a touchdown. James Conner back in action, getting 15 carries, but only 52 yards. It's a 3.5 average. He, he found the end zone as well. And then Zach Ertz, seven catches, 84 yards to lead the way for the Cardinals. Uh, Andy Lee lost a fumble for the Cardinals. Russell Wilson lost one for the Seahawks. The Cardinals were able to get to Russell Wilson one time as a unit. No standouts defensively, but Jalen Thompson with an interception. And for the Seahawks, Jordan Brooks, 20 tackles. What a fucking season he's had. Let's see. 109 tackles, over 100 tackles on the season. Two tackles for a loss. Cody Barton with 11 tackles. Josh Jones with 10 and a pass defended. Uh, they were able to get five sacks on Kyler Murray, which is not an easy task as a unit. Two of those from Carlos Dunlap. Four tackles, two sacks, two QB hits, a pass defended, and, th er, and uh, two tackles for a loss. And then Puna Ford with four tackles, a sack and a half, a tackle for a loss, and two QB hits. The Cardinals finished 9 of 18 on third, 1 for 2 on fourth. The Seahawks 8 of 12 on third. The Seahawks out yarding the Cardinals by 130, winning the or losing the turnover uh, differential minus one, two turnovers to one. And they were out possessed by the Cardinals by nine minutes. And then the final afternoon game on Sunday, the Buccaneers beating the Panthers 41 to 17. As Sam Darnold tries to keep his job, he was 29 of 42, 219 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick against a very good defense. Chuba Hubbard got nine carries for 48 yards. It's a 5.3 average. And DJ Moore led the team in receiving seven catches for 87 yards. But Amir Abdullah chipped in well. He had 26 yards rushing as well as 56 yards receiving. And Sam Darnold did lose a fumble. Has to stop turning the ball over. The GOAT, Tom Brady, 29-37, 326 and three touchdowns. Bruce Arians is clamoring for him to be the MVP. Scotty Miller, of all people, leading the team in rushing. Only two of them, but 43 yards and a touchdown. Keyshawn Vaughn did get 10 carries, but only 29 yards and a touchdown. And then Rob Gronkowski, seven catches, 137 yards. Mike Evans with two touchdowns. Uh, Tampa's defense was able to get to Sam Darnold two times as a unit, and Andrew Adams had an interception. Miles Hartsfield for the Panthers, 12 tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, and a QB hit. The Buccaneers are 4 of 11 on third down, 1 for 1 on fourth. The Panthers, 4 of 14 on third, 2 for 6 on fourth. The Bucs out-yarded the uh, Panthers by 90 yards, won the turnover differential 2 to 0, and the Panthers outpossessed the Bucks by nine. And then the wild fucking game of Sunday night football. Fourth quarter, multiple fourth down conversions. The Chargers found a way. I think it was fourth and 22 at the end of the game. They find a way. Justin Herbert finds a way to get a touchdown to force overtime. And I was freaking out. But the Raiders found a way in overtime. No draw. 35-32, they end the Chargers season. What a terrible ending for the Chargers. Derek Carr was 20-36, 186 yards and two touchdowns. Josh Jacobs was fed the rock a fair amount with 26 carries. He had 132 yards. It's a 5.1 average and a touchdown. And then Byron Edward, Brian Edwards led the team in receiving four catches, 63 yards. The Chargers offense 
Justin Herbert had 30, oh, it was 34 of 64. He threw the ball 64 times. 383 yards and three touchdowns and a pick. Eckler did get 16 carries for 64 yards. It's a four point or four per carry average with a touchdown. And Mike Williams, nine catches, 119 yards and a touchdown. He had a long catch of 47 yards. Andre Roberts did lose a fumble for the Chargers. Their defense was led by Nasir Adderley, who had 10 tackles. They were able to get to Derek Carr three times as a unit. The Raiders' defense was able to get to Herbert three times as a unit. Seven or Two of those for Max Crosby, who also had seven tackles, three tackles for a loss, three passes defended, and four QB hits. And Casey Hayward Jr. had the interception for the Raiders. The Raiders were 8-17 on third down, 1-for-1 one one on fourth. The Chargers, 4-of-18 on third down, not going to get the job done. 6-of-7 on fourth, the one that they didn't convert being the big one. Um, the Chargers out-yarded the Raiders by 100 yards, but lost the turnover differential 2-0. to zero. And the Raiders out-possessed the Chargers by 7 minutes. For the final week of football, what a week. Chiefs Broncos closer than expected. The wildness of Steelers-Ravens. The, the craziness of the clown Jaguars beating the Colts. The Texans scrapping back to the Titans. Niners-Rams in overtime. The Dolphins upsetting the Patriots. The Seahawks upsetting the Cardinals. And the Chargers-Raiders almost draw that would have ended the Steelers' season. So that week I was 9-7 and seven in my picks. I finished 107-96. and 96, Feeling pretty good about that. But let's do some accountability here. And look at how I did in my preseason predictions. We'll start in the AFC East. Let's see if I can make this easy here. I had the AFC East going um, Patriots or Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. It went Bills, Patriots, Dolphins, Jets. I had the Bills at 13 and 4. They were 11 and 6. I had the Pats at 11 and 6. They were 10 and 7. I had the Dolphins at 8 and 9, they were 9 and 8. I had the Jets at 4 and 13, they were 4 and 13. One of the easier divisions to predict in my opinion, but goddamn I was close. A lot of people had the Dolphins being a better team after their momentum last year, and uh, a lot of people had the the Bills a lot higher than or a, a lot more wins like I did, uh, even though I wasn't on as high as them as a Super Bowl favorite as others. How about that? I know what I'm talking about. The AFC North, not as good. Not, not terrible, though. I had Steelers, Ravens, Bengals, or Steelers, Ravens, Browns, Bengals. It was Bengals, Steelers, Browns, Ravens. I had the Steelers at 11-6. and six. They were 9-7-1. I had the Ravens at 10-7. and seven. They were 8-9. and nine. I had the Browns at 9-8. and eight. They were 8-9. and nine. And probably my biggest whiff of the season, I had the Bengals at 2-15. and 15. They were 10-7 and seven in the playoffs. I thought their injury risk and their offensive line would destroy them, and that did not. I also didn't think Burrow would recover and look so good after injury. Big loss there. AFC South, I had Titans, Colts, Jags, Texans, Titans, Colts, Texans, Jags, I had the Titans at 10 and 7, they were 12 and 5. I had the Colts at 9 and 7, they were 9 and 8. How could I have them at 9 and 7? 
Well, nine and eight. Um, I had Houston at three and fourteen. They were four and thirteen, and I had the Jags at four and thirteen. They were three and fourteen. So pretty close in this division as well. I had the Titans being the only team making the playoffs. I had the Colts just short, and that's exactly what had happened. I had Steelers Ravens in the playoffs for the AFC North. By the way, um, obviously it's Steelers Bengals. So there were still two teams in there. I had that right. And um, I had the Patriots and Bills making the playoffs in the AFC East, and that is correct as well. AFC West. In order, I had Chiefs, Broncos, Chargers, Raiders. It was Chiefs, Raiders, Chargers, Broncos. I had the Chiefs at 13-4. and four. They were 12-5. and five. I had the Broncos at 10-7. and seven. They were 7-10. and 10. You know, he- a little bit of health, a little bit of Teddy Bridgewater. You never know. Uh, the Chargers nine and eight. They were nine and eight. I had the Raiders at eight and nine. They were ten and seven. I had Chiefs and Broncos, two teams out of this division making the playoffs. The Chargers falling just short. Uh, there was two teams, but instead of the Broncos, it was Chiefs and Raiders, and the Chargers did fall just short. A lot of people had the Colts and Chargers in the playoffs preseason. I did not. I hit the nail just short. <laughs> Going to the NFC. Let's see how I did in the NFC. In the NFC North, I had Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions. It was Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions. I had the Packer or the Vikings winning the division at eleven and six. They were eight and nine. Pretty good whiff there. I had the Packers at ten and seven. They were thirteen and four. Did not expect that defense to play as well. Um, I thought the Bears would be eight and nine. They were six and eleven. I had the Lions at two and fifteen. They were three and thirteen, and one. Pretty good in the NFC North. Definitely whiffed on the Vikings winning the division. The NFC South. I had Bucks, Panthers, Saints, Falcons. It was Bucks, Saints, Falcons, Panthers. Um, every year you want to take a, a risk on a team. I took a risk on the Panthers. Um, obviously the team that was the big risk that paid off was the Bengals. So I missed there, but the, I had the bucks at 12 and five. They were 13 and four. I had the Panthers at 10 and seven. They were five and 12. I had the saints at eight and nine. They were nine and eight. I had the Falcons at five and 12. They were seven and 10. So decent with the bucks, the saints missed on the Panthers. The Falcons, not too bad. I had um, the Packers and Vikings making the uh, playoffs in the NFC North. Only the Packers did. I had the Bucks and Panthers making the playoffs. Only the Bucks did, even though the Saints were damn close. This will be a fun one to see. And the NFC West, I had Niners, Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals tied. It was Rams, Cardinals, Niners, Seahawks. I had the Niners at 12 and 5. They were 10 and 7. Not bad. Definitely went through some injury issues. I had the Rams at 11 and 6. They were 12 and 5. Not bad. I had the Seahawks and Cardinals at 9 and 8. The Cardinals were 11 and 6. The Seahawks 7 and 10. I didn't think the Cardinals would be ready. I thought they were a year away. Well, this ready. They've looked good. Uh, That defense has definitely overplayed my expectation as well. I had the Niners and Rams making the playoffs. The Niners and the Rams are making the playoffs, but also the Cardinals. So I was a little off there. In the NFC East, I had Cowboys, WFT, Giants, Eagles. It was Cowboys, Eagles, WFT, Giants. 
I had the Cowboys at 10 and 7. They were 12 and 5. I had WFT at 9 and 8. They were 7 and 10. I had the Giants at 6 and 11. They were 4 and 13. And I had the Eagles at 4 and 13. They were 9 and 8. I had Cowboys, the only team making the playoffs. The Cowboys and Eagles did. I definitely whiffed on the Eagles. Uh, they outperformed my expectations. But I feel pretty good about those season predictions. And the NFL, the injuries, those things you can't predict. I was pretty damn spot on. In the wild card, I had the Bills beating the Pats. That almost was the matchup. I had the Steelers beating the Ravens. The Titans beating the Broncos. And then the AFC Divisional, I had Chiefs over Titans. That could be a matchup. Bills over Steelers. And then Chiefs over Bills to represent the AFC. So not too bad either. I mean, uh, uh, those teams in the Divisional can definitely make it. The Steelers probably won't. Um... For the wild card in the NFC, I had Bucks over Panthers, Packers over Vikings, Rams over the Cowboys. Then in the divisional, Niners over the Packers, Rams over the Bucks, and then Niners over the Rams for the NFC. 49ers, I don't think they'll win, but they could. Um, you know, some of these matchups are matched up a little bit differently, but I still had the Packers, Bucks, and Rams in the divisional. Niners, Rams in the NFC, and then I have the Chiefs beating the Niners in the Super Bowl. We'll see how the playoffs play out. But I feel good about those. I do. I really do feel good about those. I know a ton of football in this show. Episode 63. Holy shit, I can't believe we're in the 60s. But before I give you my take on the playoffs and my prediction, let's talk about and give some justice to the stat leaders in the NFL the people that had straight out balled. I guess this isn't too crazy predictable, but Tom Brady, even though he had a lot of injuries to his receiving core, led the, the, the league in passing 5,300 yards. Justin Herbert over 5,000 as well. You know, the extra game in the season doesn't make 5,000 as big of a deal, but still a big deal for them to go over 5,000. Matt Stafford and Pat Mahomes and Derek Carr all over 4,800. I'm not surprised about any of those guys either, but what a top crop in the passing department. In the rushing department, Jonathan Taylor, 1,800 yards. Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Najee Harris over 1,200 yards. Dalvin Cook at 1,159 for the top five. We do have to give credit to Mr. Derek Henry. Although he was out for multiple weeks, he finished just under a thousand yards and still in the top 10 in rushing. Holy criminy. What an accomplishment. Uh, but how about the rookie Najee Harris, a slow start, no offensive line over 1200 yards. If you're a fantasy football pl player, I'd be looking at Najee Harris as a top three pick next year. Uh, Dalvin cook there expectedly Nick Chubb as well. Did not think Jonathan Taylor would lead the league, but I'm not surprised. And Joe Mixon doing good in that high flying offense. No surprises there either. Receiving Cooper Cup, 1947, just shy of the record, just shy of 2,000. Uh, Justin Jefferson, 1,600. Devontae, 1,500. Lam uh, Jamar Chase, 1,400. And Debo Samuel, 1,400. I don't think I would have predicted Debo Samuel to make it up that high. Uh, Mark Andrews, surprisingly, had 1,300 as a tight end, led the tight ends in receiving at number six. Tyreek Hill, 1,200. I probably would have expected Tyreek Hill to be in there. Holy shit, I did not realize Mark Andrews had that many yards. It's wild. Um, but yeah, Devontae, Justin Jefferson, not a surprise. I could have seen Jamar Chase doing well. Not that well, though. 
um, in his rookie year. Uh, him and Justin Jefferson are going to be staples of the league for quite some time. It's crazy how much, how many good receivers LSU has produced. And fucking Cooper Cup, I would not have guessed that many yards, but I'm not surprised he's in the top five with Matt Stafford. Defensively, there's no wonder we talk about this guy all the time. Foisade Alukin with 192 tackles. Jordan Brooks, 184. Bobby Wagner, 170. That Seahawks defense being active. C.J. Mosley, 168. Raquan Smith, 163. Um, Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, C.J. Mosley, Raquan Smith, sure. Obviously did not expect Foisade Alukin to be there, but I'll be expecting him every year from here on out. And the Falcons D on the field a lot. Sack leaders, TJ Watt, 22 and a half, tying the record. Robert Quinn, 18 and a half. Miles Garrett, 16. Joe, or Nick Bosa, 15 and a half. Trey Hendrickson, 14. There's no surprises here. Trey Hendrickson, a lot of people were not sure how he could perform outside of New Orleans. He has shown that he could do it anywhere. But bravo to those sack leaders. Interceptions, Trayvon Diggs, 11. JC Jackson, 8. Amani Arwale, 6. Micah Hyde, 5. Jordan Poyer, 5. Micah Jordan Poyer, no surprises. Amani, I'm a little surprised at. No surprise at uh, JC Jackson. Trayvon Diggs, I'm not surprised, but I didn't think he'd have double-digit interceptions. But again, bravo to those guys. And that's it for the stat leader. So let's get down to business and talk the NFL fucking playoffs. I am so excited. I've been thinking in my mind that some random wild card team would win the Super Bowl all, all year. I don't know why. I just had that feeling. A team that would scrap in and maybe go. My preseason prediction had the Niners in there. The Niners, definitely a capable team. They could do it. I have not predicted them to win it. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but just keep that in mind. I've always felt it, but I did not predict it. I didn't have the balls or the mustard to do it. So we're going to start off with Raiders Bengals. I think it's important to take care of all of the things that can be involved. Weather, right? Especially with the Pills case. Um, weather that can be involved. Injuries and all those things. So these are the things that we'll be diving into the forecast, it says it's going to be low 20s with a chance of snow early, maybe some wind. I don't expect the weather to play a big role in this game. The Raiders are without, obviously, Kenyon Drake, Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen Jr., Gerald McCoy, fullback Alec Ingold, and offensive lineman Richie Incognito. Now, they're on a four-game winning streak over the Chargers, the Colts, the Broncos, and Cleveland coming into the postseason. Offensively, they rank 21st overall and are 30th overall in rushing, but 12th overall in passing. Although they are missing Drake, Josh Jacobs is looking very good of late. He looked good in that Sunday night game, especially when they give him 20-plus carries. He's had 132-yard game, 63 yards, 129 yards, and 52 yards in that four-game winning streak. He has 187 to 172 yards and nine touchdowns on the season. Their defensive side of the ball, they rank 26th in yardage. They're 29th in turnovers, so they don't turn the ball over. But Derek Carr has willed this team, right? No, but I did not expect them to have a chance. 4,804 yards, 23 touchdowns, and 14 picks. And how about Hunter fucking Renfro, who's really come in to his own little Wes Welker 2.0? 
He has 103 catches, 1,038 yards, and nine touchdowns. And a lot of that with Darren Waller being out of the offense. Darren Waller is healthier now. You know, what percentage? No one really knows. Really, what for me, what it comes down to in this defense is the pass rush. You have Max Crosby with eight sacks. Yannick Ngakwe with 10. Obviously, losing Phylon in the middle will, will play some, some damage. But the, the Bengals' offense isn't amazing. This was what I thought would be a, a bigger, weaker point than it is. Um, but the Bengals, they're without tackle Riley Reef, who got hurt right, at the, I think, two weeks ago. They lost to the Browns with a bunch of starters out. But before that, they had beat the Chiefs in a high-flying game, the Ravens, and the Broncos on the road. Offensively, they rank 15th as they're 7th in passing but 23rd in rushing. Joe Mixon can run the ball if needed, uh, but is a weapon as a receiver as, as well. He does great at the backfield. He finished with 1,200 rushing yards, 13 touchdowns, 314 receiving yards, and 3 touchdowns as a receiver. Their wide receiver trio is fucking stout. Jamar Chase, 1,455 yards and 13 touchdowns. T. Higgins, 1,091 yards and 6 touchdowns. And Tyler Boyd, 825 yards and 5 touchdowns. I think this trio is one of the best in the NFL. And how about Joe fucking Burrow? Cigar smoking Burrow, 4,600 yards, 34 touchdowns. And you would never know that he came off a season-ending injury last year. Again, their offensive line isn't amazing. It's better than last year, but it's not great at pass blocking. And that could play a key role with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. They're going to have to get to the quarterback. But defensively, they've the, the Bengals have really been surprising. They're ranked 17th. Uh, they're 26 overall in passing yards allowed. So they do give up the pass, which the Raiders like to throw the ball. Um, but they've been streaky, but better against the rush. Trey Hendrickson on the defensive side of the ball has been a home run signing. We just talked about him. He has 14 sacks. But I think this game is going to be a high-scoring showcase from the quarterbacks. I assume whoever wins the turnover differential is going to get the job done. But what I've seen from the Bengals of late, I can't pick against them. Some of the weak points that they have against the Raiders is there. But they did beat the Raiders earlier in the season. I like Joe Burrow in a must-win game. So I'm going to go with the Bengals over the Raiders. Let's see what the spread is here. NFL scores. The Bengals are favored by five at home. I think playing at home does make a difference, even though in the dome it still would be high flying. Uh, but this is Saturday afternoon, 1.30 Pacific on NBC. That's going to be a fun game. I'm going with the uh, with the, the Bengals. And then we got Patriots-Bills, the third time. I love when teams play three times in a season. Um, the Steelers have done it against the Ravens a few times. So these teams know each other very well. There's not a lot to dive into. We already know the, the outcomes, you know, what the situations are. But for the, the thing I looked at, the first thing was, what the fuck's the weather going to be in Buffalo? As of now, the forecast is right around 10 degrees with around 10 miles out. Let, let me double check this. I looked at this a couple days ago. Buffalo 10-day forecast. Let's make sure. It's funny that Buffalo gets a home game and the weather is an issue, right? Their own home field. They're, they're worried about it. So Saturday, 11 degrees, 
11 mile an hour wind, not much participation. Precipitation. I don't think that the weather is going to play a role here. I think Josh Allen's going to be able to do what he needs to do. You know, he did play in Cheyenne and Wyoming. He is familiar with the wind. It's just as long as the wind's not 40 fucking miles an hour and they have to run the ball the whole game, I expect them to win. The first pat, the first matchup, the Pats own them on both lines of scrimmage. Their defensive line was all over their offensive line. Their offensive line pushed their defense back and allowed their running game to take over. But the Bills have a better quarterback. They have better skilled position players. When it comes to rankings, the, the Bills ranked fourth offensively. They fare off, uh, fare way better off against uh, in the passing department than they do the run. Like I said, I think it's important, maybe not so much in this game, but hey, the Dolphins just ran on the Pats to have confidence and give Singletary his opportunities. We don't need to throw the ball 40 fucking times a game. Uh, but defensively, the Bills ranked number one overall, even though they lost Tredavious White. I thought this would be a backbreaker for, the, for them. I do think playing in their division has inflated these numbers a little bit, but they are number one against the pass and 13 against the run. The Pats, they rank number two defensively, but 22 against the rush. And on the offensive side of the ball, they rank 25th overall, eighth in rushing yards. Their top, their, their line is a top 10 unit, but it, it's not looking like Isaiah Wynn's going to play. So that's just another piece that they're going to miss. They have a few questionable, a few questionable players and are going to be without cornerback Jonathan Jones. So the Bills are hot. They've won four in a row. The Pats are on a one-game losing streak. I'm taking the Bills in Buffalo. Please, please, Bills, get the job done. Vegas says the Bills are favored by four at home. I'm taking neither team to cover, but I'm taking the Bills and the, the Bengals. I think these are going to be close games. And then moving into Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. The Sunday night game. Steelers versus Chiefs in Arrowhead. My preseason Super Bowl favorite Chiefs. Well, when it comes to injuries, we know that the Steelers are without Juju Smith, Tyson Alualu, Kevin Dotson, and Stephon Tuitt. Doesn't seem like weather's going to play a role. It's going to be somewhat warm, maybe some rain. The Chiefs are having some injuries and some questionable players, but I do assume Tyree Kill and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to play. For rankings, the Steelers rank 15th on offense, 29th in rushing offense. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the offensive line, which ranks at the bottom half of the league at 27. They are getting Kendrick Green back. Um, I hope they don't play him at center. J.C. Hassenhauer has played really well at center, so... I'm not too sure what's going to be going on there, but that's definitely something to note coming into the game. On the defensive side of the ball, the Steelers ranked 20th overall. They're 32nd, dead last in the league in rushing yards allowed. That's fucking crazy to say as a Steelers fan and just the history of their defense. Uh, they have finally started integrating Derek Watt into the offense. They just signed him for TJ. I don't know what, what happened. Uh, but Najee Harris in the run game has actually started to get some momentum besides Najee hurting his elbow. The Steelers have won three of their last four, but their last loss was against the Chiefs, 36-10, to which it was not close at all. Harris had 93 yards rushing in that game. He's obviously just got hurt against Baltimore. So for me, the Steelers are going to have to give Najee 25-30 to carries, and he's going to have to be healthy to get the job done. 
The defense is going to have to force pressure on Mahomes, force some turnovers, and that's a big ask. The Chiefs, they rank 8th defensively. They're 27th in pass yards allowed and 21st in rushing yards allowed. Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, they really make the, the, the difference on the defensive side of the ball. The offense is tied for first and our fourth in passing yards allowed and 16th in rushing yards allowed. Their you know, fixed offensive line is going to have to show up with the Steelers' terrible run game. You'd think they'd take advantage of that, whether it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or some of the other guys. The Chiefs don't like to do that, though, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. The Chiefs are on a one-game winning streak, but they've won nine of their last ten, the one loss against the, the Bengals in that amazing game, the Jamar Chase craziness. But yeah, with that being said, I'm taking the Chiefs. The Steelers, though, are uh, minus 12.5 on the road. I think that's a safe bet to bet on the 12.5-point spread. It was at 14 at one point. Uh, but the, the Chiefs are going to win in, in Arrowhead unless they're you know minus 3 or 4 in the turnover department. And Najee Harris runs over 120 yards. Doable. We'll see. Big Ben, we trust. Come on now. Sucks picking against your own team. Then we got Eagles Bucks. The Eagles are without Brandon Brooks and Brandon Graham. The Bucks are recently without Richard Sherman. They obviously don't have Antonio Brown or Chris Godwin. But expectation is Shaq Barrett, Leonard Fournette, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Levante David will play. That's huge. It's a huge uplift for this team. Offensively, the Eagles rank 30th overall. They're 25th in passing yards, but first in rushing yards. Their old line is ranked in the top 10, so they have a pretty good unit up front. Jason Kelsey, of course. Defensively, they rank 18th. They are 11th in passing yards allowed and 4th in rushing yards allowed. Jalen Hurts has 16 touchdowns, but 784 rushing yards. Devontae Smith finished right under 1,000 yards at 916. On the defensive side of the ball, they have Javon Hargrave, an ex-stealer. He's a fucking stud. And Josh Sweat, they both have 7.5 sacks in the season. Darius Slay's stats don't show it, but he's had a great season in coverage. He has three interceptions on the year. I'd expect that they put him in Mike Evans' area, shadowing him. I'm not too sure what they're going to do with Gronkowski. But with a stout run defense and a lack of healthy receivers, I think this game is going to be similar to the Buccaneers against uh, WFT last year. And I think it's going to be close to the end, but you can't bet against the GOAT here. Brady finished the season with 5,316 yards, 43 touchdowns, which ranks first in the NFL. And a QBR is 68.5, which was second. Shaq Barrett had 10 sacks, three forced fumbles, and a pick on the season. So having him back is instrumental. The Bucks, as a unit ranked fifth defensively. They're 21st in passing yards allowed and third in rushing yards allowed, which is the only thing the Eagles have going. The offense is tied for the Chiefs for first, but they are 26th in rushing and first in passing. The Eagles lost the last meaningless game against the Cowboys on Sunday, but they were on a four-game winning streak before that's allowed them to get some uh, playoff berth. The Buccaneers are on a three-game winning streak and have won, won seven of their last eight. I can't pick against the Bucs. I'm taking the Bucs. Vegas has them favored by eight and a half at home. I'm not taking them to cover. 
Playoff football is going to be some playoff football. And then the game of the wild card, the super wild card Saturday, Sunday, Monday, weekend, is this one. Niners, Cowboys. I've been back and forth on it. Obviously, the Niners are without Raheem Mostert, who they lost two carries into the season, and my fantasy team. That was brutal. They're without D. Ford, Mike McGlinchey, Javon Kinlaw, and cornerback Jason Verrett. Trent Williams, Jimmy G, Elijah Mitchell, they're all battling injuries but expected to play. Trent Williams hasn't practiced this week, but Shanahan is assuring everyone that he'll play. If he doesn't play, it's going to be very brutal for their offense in the run game, but I assume he will. The Cowboys are without J. Ron Curse, Michael Gallup, Jabril Cox. But much like the, the Niners, they're, they have a very banged-up Tony Pollard and Tyron Smith that are expected to play. Tyron Smith, just as important as Trent Williams for the Niners. Offensively, the Niners ranked 10th. They're 12th in passing yards and 7th in rushing yards. The run game is really what keeps this, this team clicking. It's the engine of the Niners, the Shanahan offense. George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, though, they can be a force as long as Jimmy has time and doesn't turn the ball over. Really, for me on the Niners, it's the same story. Can Jimmy G get the job done? Can he do enough to get the job done? He has the third best offensive line this season. Defensively, the Niners ranked ninth overall, sixth against the pass, and seventh against the, the rush. Nick Bosa, we talked about him as a stat leader, 15 and a half sacks, four forced fumbles. Fred Warner, 79 tackles. He's a machine. And then on the Cowboys, they rank 7th defensively, 20th against the pass, 7th against the run. The rookie sensation, really, Micah Parsons, 13 sacks and 3 forced fumbles. He is a little banged up as well. The Cowboys' offense ranks 5th overall, 2nd in passing yards, and ninth in rushing yards allowed. I do think the passing numbers are inflated with the division. But they do have the best offensive line in the in football. But Tyron Smith is a huge piece as long as he plays. Now, both teams are going to be battling in the trenches. Both lines on each side of the ball are great. This is what makes this game so much fun. The 49ers coming in are on a two-game winning streak. They've won four of their last five with a loss to the Tennessee Titans, the one seed in the AFC. The Cowboys are on a one-game winning streak after a loss to Arizona. But they have won five of their last six as well. So they both have a good amount of momentum. I think the difference here is Dak is hot. He's looking good. I think that they have too many weapons offensively. As long as they can get that run game and not have to be completely dependent on the pass, they'll be okay. But with Tony Pollard coming in, I expect him to be a game changer. That's going to be the difference in this game. Tony Pollard, Tyron Smith don't play. I'd probably switch my pick. But this being in Dallas is going to help as well. Vegas has the Cowboys favored at three at home. I'm going to take the Cowboys, but I'm not taking them cover. What a game this is going to be. And then we wrap up with Cardinals Rams on Monday night, ESPN, ABC, and ESPN+. When we look at this game, the Cardinals are obviously without Max Williams, officially no DeAndre Hopkins. They do expect J.J. Watt to play, which seems a little psychotic in my opinion. And the Rams, brutal loss, not having Jordan Fuller. We talked about that. 
Ernest Jones. They're without Jarrell Henderson and obviously Robert Woods. Taylor Rapp still needs to be cleared of the concussion protocol, but he's expected to play. And then they have Weddle now, 37-year-old Weddle. Well, this one's kind of simple for me. With Hopkins, this game would have been super interesting to pick. You know, without Jordan Fuller, you would assume that they would have just destroyed them with Hopkins. Offensively, the Rams ranked 8th. They're 5th in passing yards and 25th in rushing yards. But Sony Michelle has been a huge piece to this team. He finished with 845 yards and 4 touchdowns. Cam Akers is back. He could potentially change some of the flow on the run game as well. He only had 5 carries last week. You didn't see a lot, but I'm assuming they were kind of saving him for the, for the playoffs. The Rams' offensive line ranks 7th overall. Obviously, they have an amazing number one receiver in Cooper Cup, just falling short of 2,000 yards in the record. And McVay's new man, Matt Stafford, 4,800 yards, 41 touchdowns, which was second in the NFL. He had a QBR of 63.5, which was fourth. On the defensive side of the ball, they ranked 15th, which is pretty over underwhelming in my opinion. Against the pass, they're, um, they're 17th against the pass and 6th against the run. I've said this many a times, but you'd think the addition of Von Miller, who had nine and a half sacks, having Leonard Floyd, nine and a half sacks, Aaron Donald in the middle, 12 and a half sacks, four first forced fumbles, and Jalen Ramsey, the defense would be unstoppable, but that really hasn't been the case. They're really going to have to funnel Murray in the pocket and watch out for that big play. They do have some speedy receivers. Christian Kirk's done really well in Hopkins' ads, absence. For the Cardinals, they rank 11th as a defense, which is super surprising to me coming in. They're 7th against the pass and 20th against the run. Chandler Jones, he has 10.5 sacks and 6 forced fumbles. Marcus Golden with the great season, 11 sacks, 4 forced fumbles. The Cardinals offense ranks 12th. They're 10th in total rushing yards and passing yards. Their offensive line ranks 13th, so it's a pretty solid unit up front. I just don't see how a beat-up James Conner, who did have 752 yards and 15 touchdowns, and a beat-up Chase Edmonds, if he plays, will be able to move the ball much. I'm not confident in A.J. Green from what I've seen lately. Christian Kirk has had a great season. He fell just shy of 1,000 yards with five touchdowns. You know, they do have Zach Ertz, 763 yards and five touchdowns. Been a great addition. You know, Kyler Murray had 24 touchdowns. I just don't see how they're going to be able to score enough points. The Cardinals defense, I think, will be a problem for the Rams. They probably will turn the ball over. If they can really run the ball well, the Rams, I think they easily win. I think they might struggle a little bit in the run game, trying to get those guys' momentum, getting things going. I think it will be somewhat of a close game. I just don't see the Cardinals offense having enough uh, enough power to get the job done. But with Fuller, that back end, maybe they find a good game plan. Maybe they could get the job done. I'm not betting on them, though. I'm taking the Rams. The Rams are favored by four at home. I'm going to take them to cover. The only team I'm taking to cover, the Rams, on Monday night football. What a super wild card weekend we have in store. I'm going to the Emerald Queens Casino in Tacoma on Sunday. They now allow MGM betting. I'm going to do some fun betting, get some good food. Can't wait. But other than that, with those assumptions, I would have the Titans, the one seed, taking on the Bengals. If Henry plays and is healthy, I'm taking the Titans. Simple enough. 
that it would be Chiefs versus Bills, an AFC championship rematch. I'm taking the Chiefs in this one. I don't have to do a lot of thinking there either. In the NFC, it would be Buccaneers versus Cowboys. What a fun game that would be. I'm going to take the Cowboys because they'll be playing a little bit healthier in my opinion. I don't think Brady has enough weapons. And then it would be Rams versus Packers in Lambeau. I think being in Lambeau, I'm assuming the weather is going to suck in two weeks. I'm going to take the Packers. So that would be AFC Championship of Chiefs versus Titans. NFC Championship of Packers versus Cowboys. I'm going to take the Packers and I'm going to take the Chiefs. And then I'm taking the Packers to win this year's Super Bowl, which will be amazing for the Packers. It was going to be so interesting what Aaron Rodgers' decision would be because the thought of Rodgers and Adams teaming up elsewhere or going to other teams. As a Steelers fan, obviously, I'm pumped for that opportunity. But yeah, I'm a little surprised that I had the Packers winning it. But I think in Lambeau against the the uh, Rams would be a huge advantage. The NF champion, NFC Championship against the Cowboys, I'm assuming the weather would be worse. Uh, the, a a beat-up Zeke and Pollard I don't think will be enough. That Packers defense is overperformed. They have Jair Alexander coming back, Zadarius Smith coming back, which not a lot of people are talking about, but is huge for that defense. And, you know, if Derrick Henry comes back rolling, he could beat the Chiefs. It very well could be the Titans. But it's hard for me to pick up against all the offensive weapons that the Chiefs do have. And then when we look at the Super Bowl, um, Chiefs-Packers, I just don't think that the defense of the Chiefs are, are, is going to do enough. I think both teams score a lot of points. But Rodgers is just different this year. He's the MVP of the league, in my opinion. So I'm taking the Packers. That's it. That's my prediction. That's my predictions for the Super Wild Card Weekend. But we got some football coming. I can't wait. And we're not done with football yet. We still have to recap the FCS and FBS championship games. Some interesting news around the uh, the college football landscape, though. USC quarterback Jackson Dart entering the transfer portal. So it seems to me, here comes Caleb Williams joining Lincoln Riley. But maybe Jackson Dart wants to come to the Boomer Sooner bandwagon as well. So it's going to be interesting. This transfer portal is like free agency for college. I hope it doesn't ruin the game, and I hope... This year, some of the craziness had been because coaching movement. Players have committed to coaching. Coaching had left. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be wild. The college football playoff panel also does not approve does not approve to the 12-team playoff. They were hoping to get this in 2024. Now it's not looking like this would be a potential opportunity until the ESPN contract ends in 2026. So the idea of an expanded playoff the next couple of years does not seem likely. But we'll talk the FCS championship first. There's not a ton to talk about it. Um, the big news and the headline for me was that the young quarterback, Tommy Malo, uh, Mellet Malo, who, you know, he had looked good. He's the reason the Bobcats had had an opportunity to make it to the championship. He gets hurt only going two of three. Uh, but North Dakota State handles Bozeman 38 to 10. I'm not too surprised. I, I thought it might have been a little bit closer. But Tucker Rovig came in 13 of 28, 156 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. And Isaiah Afonso had eight, 84 yards on 18 carries. And Lance McCutcheon had five catches for 106 yards and a tutty. For the Bisons offense, the young Cam Miller, 9 of 13, 126 yards and a touchdown. 
but as in a typical Bison fashion, it was all the run game. They ran for 380 yards on 53 carries. That's a 7.2 average as a whole unit. They had one, two, three, four backs and double-digit carries. Even Kobe Johnson only had four carries, but 105 yards for a touchdown. He had a 76-yard touchdown run. So the Bison win the ninth time in 11 years. Welcome to the FBS NDSU. So on Monday, we had the Natty, the one and only SEC Championship rematch. I had taken the Bulldogs. I had assumed the game plan that Saban had the first time executed perfectly and, and, and really took advantage of Georgia's weak points. I didn't think they could do it again. But the, 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 the bummer news here, and which kind of ruined some of the lust of the game, Jamison Williams out pretty early after a big play, ended up tearing his ACL, and Alabama's offense wasn't able to rebound. Georgia won 33-18. to Stetson Bennett, quite a game for him. 17-26, 224 yards and two touchdowns. Um, the Georgia Bulldog offense with 130 yards rushing as a unit. And um, Stetson Bennett did lose a fumble, but a pretty clean game for the Bulldogs. Bryce Young had to throw the ball 57 times. They were 35. He was 35 of 57, 369 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. And then Brian Robinson Jr. did get 22 carries for 68 yards, which is only a 3.1 average. Cameron Latou, after Jamison got hurt, led the team with 102 yards on five catches and a touchdown. But the Bulldogs were able to get four sacks. Alabama got five of their own. Um, but really the big difference was the two turnovers for Bama in big games. They don't turn the ball over. But we can all rejoice. Bama doesn't win. The SEC does. Congrats, Bulldogs. Congrats, the Bison. Staple names in the household. No big surprises. College football. A new season begins. And what a season it's going to be with all these transferring players. But uh, yeah, they were pretty good games. I wasn't too stoked about either of them, to be honest. Uh, but that's the way college football wraps up. But we got some UFC. The UFC is back. I can't wait. I would throw a bunch of jabs and punches right now, but I'm so sore. I finally got my ass back in the gym. I don't want to be one of those New Year resolutions people, but the New Year, you know, I had to get my shit together. I'm back in there, so I'm pretty sore today. Um, but I'm excited to have some fights back. This card this weekend isn't, you know, game-changing card. Uh, but next weekend, we get UFC 270, which is going to be fucking phenomenal. I'm just happy the fights are back. It seemed like it's been forever. I'm used to having them every single Saturday. Some fight news. We have Alexander Volkanovsky versus Korean Zombie locked in. Obviously, Max Holloway having to pull out with a re-injured injury. Insert the Korean Zombie. Not everyone's stoked about it. It'll be fun. I would have rather saw Henry Cejudo personally, but that'll be a fun fight. Mar uh, Marcin Tibera is going to fight Jarzinho Rogenstreit in the heavyweight. That's going to be a banger. Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz. I've been wanting to see this officially. This is going to be an awesome fight. Kevin Holland um, moving down in weight classes, taking on Alex Cowboy Oliveira. That'll be a fun one, seeing how Big Mouth can do in a new weight class. You know, this was a, a fight I talked about of a must-see in 2022. Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington officially happening. That's a banger for sure. Uh, Joaquin Buckley is rebooked with Abdul Razak Al-Hassan 
after uh, some injury issues that are rebooked. Buckley, one of the nastiest highlight knockouts you've seen. Um, that's probably where you would know his name from. Not as exciting news. Movsar Evloev is uh, taken out in the Aliyah Topiria fight. That was going to be a, a must-see banger, especially after Evloev's last fight. But he pulls out, so we'll see if um, Topiria can get in a new opponent. I'm sure he can. On the women's side of thing, Mackenzie Dern taking on Tisha Torres. I've always wanted to see these two fight. That's going to be a, a, an awesome fight in 2022. Alexa Grasso versus Joanne Calderwood is going to be a banger. Sarah McMahon versus Carol Rosa. And fresh last night, Kevin Gastelum versus Nasser Dimamavov. This is a huge must-win fight for Kelvin and a top 10 opportunity for Nasser Dean. And this isn't official yet, but according to Ariel Hawani, Dan Hooker versus Arnold Allen in talks. That would be awesome. Dan Hooker in a new weight class. Arnold Allen looking great of a young stud. That would be a banger for sure. And then Misha Tate announces that she is going to take on Lauren Murphy in the flyweight division. Lauren Murphy just fought Valentina Shevchenko. So she's dropping down in weight, uh, trying some new things out there. That'll be interesting to see. And then lastly, for boxing, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is going to fight Rashid Belhasa. His name is Money Kicks on the Abu or in the Dubai or top of the I don't know hotel or complex in the helipad. Some video game shit right there. But before we talk about the fight night card this Saturday on or ESPN 32, Fight Night, ESPN 32, whatever you want to call it. I wanted to give you guys who I think is going to be the champ of the division at the end of the year because I didn't get to do this the other episode. So we'll start with flyweight. Brandon Moreno is the champion today. I think he stays as the champion. Um, and I'm going to make all these assumptions that the the um, champions have two fights this year. If they don't have two fights, it's going to be hard to say. But a minimum of two fights. I think it's going to still be Brandon Moreno. He gets Divas and Figueredo, so I'm only going to assume he gets one more fight. If he does get Askar Askarov or Alexander Pantoja, they could potentially knock him down. Um, those are fights that are going to be fun to watch, but I think Brandon Moreno is only getting better and has improved so much that I'm going to stick with Brandon Moreno. In the bantamweight class, I'm going with TJ Dillashaw, assuming that he gets the winner of the Sterling Yan rematch and assuming you know that fight already got postponed to April. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't get that next fight. So assuming that he gets a chance, uh, but I'm going to go with TJ Dillashaw for the bantamweight division. I'm sticking with Volkanovsky in the featherweight division. Unless Max Holloway gets to fight him before the year is over, then I'm going to go with Max Holloway. But at this point, it's not looking very likely. I think in the um, lightweight class, it's going to be Justin Gaethje. Um, obviously, Oliveira's there. I think Oliveira might avoid Gaethje and take a big money fight next. Hopefully, Gaethje gets his chances. But I think Gaethje's going to catch him, finish him with a knockout to be the lightweight champion. Kamara Usman, I'm going. I mean, that's as easy as it gets. There's really no one that could dethrone him unless someone moves weight classes. I'm going with Robert Whitaker over Izzy Adesanya. I think he holds it. I think what he... I think he is the best opponent against Izzy. Uh, like he said, he was emotional. He wasn't as committed before. Um, Jan Blakovich has showed the blueprint of how to beat him. Those are abilities and skills that Robert Whitaker possesses. 
So I think he's going to win. Not everyone might love the fight the way it goes, but I'm going with Robert Whitaker as the champion in 2022. For light heavyweight, I'm going with Yuri Prashaka. Uh, it's just hard for me to want to assume that Glover Teixeira could keep fighting. You know, as long as he fights two more times this year, I assume he's going to lose. You know, he's 43 years old. Uh, it's hard to keep a 43-year-old guy as, a, as the champion. And then I'm going with Cyril Gaon in heavyweight unless he fights John Jones. I assume Cyril Gaon is going to beat Francis Ngannou. Um, I assume he'll get another fight. If that is Jones, though, I am going to go with John Jones as the heavyweight champion at the end of 2022. But yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. We got some fights. UFC is hotter than ever. Uh, but let's talk about the fight night card this week. A fight that I didn't deep dive into because this was last minute. But Michelle Pieta's opponent had pulled out, so they were looking for a short-notice fight. Insert Andre Fialo, who is making his UFC debut. Uh, he's 27 years old with a 14-3 and record, 11 knockouts out of his 14 wins, and he trains out of Sanford MMA. So it looks like it's a, a serious opponent for Pieta. But with the short notice, Pieta's wildness and his, his ability to knock people out, um, it's going to be hard to pick against Pieta in this fight. We also have Jake, the prototype Collier, 33 years old with a 12 and 6 record, taking on Chase, the vanilla gorilla Sherman, 32 years old with a 15 and 8 record. Uh, Jake is on a one fight losing streak and is 1 and 2 since 2020. Chase himself is an orthodox fighter. He trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. He has a purple belt in kickboxing and a blue belt in BJJ. He is on a two fight losing streak. And 14 of his 15 wins are via knockouts. Personally, I think both of these fighters are fighting for their UFC lives. I don't expect this fight to last all three rounds. I'm going to take Chase in knockout fashion, second or third round. I'm putting him in my parlay. I'm marking that down. And we getting that bread starting the year in 2020. Down to the flyweights, the little men. Uh, Brandon Rodog Royval. What a nickname. Raw dog. I'm raw dogging him. Brandon Raw Dog Royval, 29 years old with a 12 and 6 record in the number five next to his name, taking on Rogerio Bontorin, the 29 year old fighter with a 17 and 3 record and the number seven next to his name. Royval is on a two fight losing streak, but against killers like Alexander Pantoya and Brandon Moreno, eight of his 12 wins are via submission. He was on a four-fight winning streak with a guillotine submission over Kai Kara France, who's looked good of late, and he's come from the LFA uh, promotion. Bontorin, he's a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak after two losses to Kai Kara France and Ray Borg, and 11 of his 17 wins are via submission. I think this is going to come down to striking the classic two... two uh, Grapplers turned into strikers. And I like what I've seen out of Roy Vall more in that department. Bontorin, another thing to note, does struggle to make the 125 weight class. He has missed weight two of his last three fights, so it's something to consider. But I'm gonna take with I'm gonna take Raw Dog Roy Vall. I'm putting him on my parlay. Marking it down. We getting that bread. Next up we have Caitlin, the blonde fighter, Chukagian. 33 years old with a 16-4 and four record and the number two next to her name, taking on Jennifer Maya, 
33 years old, with the 19-7-1 record and the number four next to her name. Now, Chukagian, she's a brown belt in BJJ. She's on a two-fight winning streak and has a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. Maya has a background in BJJ, Muay Thai, and boxing. She's got a black belt in BJJ and Muay Thai. She's an Evicta alum, and she's on a one-fight winning streak. Now, these two have previously fought back in November of 2019. Maya ended up missing weight and taking the loss of a unanimous decision. I think Caitlin, she is a longer, uh, taller, better striker. I have to take her in this fight. I think if Maya is going to win, she's going to have to take her down and get this fight dirty, which is very possible. But I'm going with the blonde fighter. I'm putting her on my parlay. We getting that bread. And then the main event. This is a fucking main event. This is what makes the card go. We have Calvin Cater, 33 years old, with a 22-5 and record and the number five next to his name, taking on Giga, the Ninja, Chikadze, 33 years old with the 14 and two record and the number eight next to his name. Now Cater has a boxing background and a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one fight losing streak, but that was to super San Max Holloway. Giga. He has a background in Goju Ryu karate, Kaiushkin karate and kickboxing. He's a third degree back black belt in Goju Ryu karate and a black belt in Kaioshin karate. Giga comes from the Gladiator Challenge, then got a shot at the Dana White Contender Series uh, promotion, but he lost the fight. Then he won a few more in Gladiator and had his opportunity in the UFC. He's on a nine-fight winning streak, and nine of his 14 wins are via knockout. This fight is going to be much crazier since it's a main event five-round fight. I do believe this is going to be a back-and-forth chess match. Giga is a very just unorthodox, unique fighter. I like Cater's level of competition that he's fought though. And I think he is durable enough to take some shots, give some shots. And I'm sure he's taken this year that he's had off to improve and really heal up and add to his game. If Giga could pull this off, he's going right for a title shot. So that's huge. He knows that's on the line. He's very confident. You could hear that in his interviews, but I'm taking Calvin. Let's see. He's got to be the underdog. Everyone's riding Giga's ass. Let's see. Let's see what the odds are here. This might be a good just direct bet. Calvin's plus 195. I'm taking the underdog in the main event. Let's go. Put it on the parlay. We getting that bread. And then up next, next Saturday, we have another pay-per-view. UFC 270. Francis Nganu, Cyril Gone, training partners, the baddest men on the planet. I am excited for that motherfucker card. But yeah, the fight game's back, ladies and gentlemen. The fight game is back. Let's talk a little bit of NBA, a little bit of basketball. So John Collins frustrated with his role. He wants more teams basketball. The Falcons are kind of in flux. And I just got this update. The Falcons actually have traded. Let's see. Cam Reddish to the Knicks for Solomon Hall, Solomon Hill and a 2025 second round pick for Kevin Knox and a 
2022 first round pick. As well as Bol Bol was traded from the Nuggets to the Pistons, but he um, something had voided, didn't pass a physical, and that trade is no longer happening. So the, the Hawks open for shop. Bol Bol back to the Nuggets. He was supposed to go to the Pistons for Roddy McGruger in a 2022 second round pick. And then some tough news. Damian Lillard going under ab- abdominal in, uh, surgery. Supposedly it's not season ending. But with the, the situation that the Blazers are in, it's probably going to be close to the end of the year. And then at that point, it's like, do we even play him? Um, so things starting to move around the league. Teams starting to figure out if they can play, set up for next next year. So, I am diving into two teams like I did the NFL for the next few weeks. One East, one West. I've been dying to talk about these teams. These teams have been fun to watch, surprising of, uh, uh, if anything. And we're going to start in the East with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're currently 24-18 and 18 in the sixth spot in the East. And this team, I think, has not only surprised me, but many other people. They've lost Colin Sexton to a meniscus tear. They lost Ricky Rubio to a torn ACL, which has definitely been brutal and hampered their season. Um, Isaac Orcoro is also missing a few weeks with an elbow sprain. But this team is just playing old school basketball. They're going big. They have Laurie Markinen, 6'1". Evan Mobley, 6'11", or not 6'1", 6'11", power forward. Mobley, 6'11", center. Jarrett Allen, 6'10", center. Kevin Love, 6'8", power forward off the bench. C.D. Osmond, 6'8", small forward that could play power forward and center. And Ed Davis, a 6'9", center. They play physically. They're long. They're scrappy. The point guard play was what made the entire engine click. And now they're reliant on a 35-year-old Rajon Rondo who is t- out right now as well. So they have, I think, LeVar Stevens or something like that. Uh, but they have a good culture. There's no egos. It's true team ball. Kevin Love says he actually enjoys playing for them. He's looked good, like a six-man-of-the-year candidate good. The lack of talent and guard play will get them. Um, will get to them, I think, and catch up. But I think what they've done this season has been incredible. They were a top Eastern Conference team a month ago, but I do think that they can still slide into the playoffs, which is a huge accomplishment. Jarrett Allen has had a great year. He's averaging 16.8 points a game, 10.7 rebounds. A lot of people would be worried about you know, them drafting Mobley. How do you have Jarrett Allen and Mobley together? It's worked fine. The rookie's hooping. Mobley is averaging 14.8 points a game. 8.1 rebounds and 2.5 assists. Kevin Love's blossomed with the new lineup of late. He's averaging 14 points a game, 7.6 rebounds and 2 assists. And then they have their 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 stud guard Darius Garland. He's doing everything in his third year. He's averaging 19.6 points a game and 7 assists, even though there aren't any many other guards getting minutes on the team. They are 5 and 6 in their last uh 11. And they're slipping down. Again, they're at number six. But regardless of what this team has done, they're fun to watch. They're they're watchable, which is saying something for Cleveland. And they very well can lock in a playoff spot if Rondo could get up to speed. And uh, they have a youthful lineup that you give some good guard play. Colin Sexton coming back next year. Um, you know, they might be a, a scrappy playoff team that nobody wants to fuck with. 
And then in the West, Tony Jones, I'm an athletic subscriber. I'm a Utah Jazz fan, a huge Utah Jazz fan. I, I, I like Tony Jones. And he said last night on Twitter, the Grizzlies, it's not about the Grizzlies arriving. They have arrived. And they beat the Warriors last night. I lost more fucking money. They're 29 and 14. And this team has had to deal with injuries to Dylan Brooks. John Morant was out for quite a while. I have him on my fantasy team. It sucked. And they play in a very good Western Conference, and they've never wavered. Brooks is injured again. He's expected to be out three to five weeks with a sprained ankle. But this is all about Ja. We need Ja. He's taken a huge leap forward in his maturation process. His confidence is through the roof. At this rate, another year or two, he might be the best point guard in the league. And that's a position that is so stout across the league. So that's saying something. He's averaging 24.7 points a game, which is almost six points more than he did last year and seven more than his rookie year. The, the big difference is he is shooting 38% from three, which is 4% better for, and 4% better from the field. His rebounding is up. He's getting to the line more. And they got Desmond Bain. What a great young piece he is. He's averaging 17.7 a game which is almost nine points per game than his rookie season. He is shooting an amazing 43% from three. You got Jaron Jackson. He's kind of been up and down, but he's having a great year, averaging 16.4 a game, 5.5 rebounds. I thought this team made a weird decision adding Steven Adams instead of Valenciunas, but he's doing enough for the team. Especially with the other stepping up, he's playing his part. He's doing his part of the team. He's only averaging 7 points, 9.4 rebounds, but he does have 3 assists for a big man, which that's big time. That's not normal. His pick and roll game has been great, especially with Desmond Bain. They also have DeAnthony Melton taking a leap. Not a massive leap, but he's having the best season, averaging 10 points a game, 4.5 rebounds, and 3 assists. I didn't even expect rookie Zaire Williams who's out of Stanford, to be involved. But he's averaging six points a game and is a great piece off the bench. I think he scored 16 against the Warriors the other night, or last night. And he might be someone that makes a big dividend or pays off in the playoffs. Memphis is all over the top conference currently. They're number three. They're nine, uh, 10 and one in their last 11. I'd expect them to stay in the top four to six of the West throughout the season. They'd be a first-round matchup that no one would want to see. They've beaten the Lakers twice, the Warriors, the Clippers, the Nets, the Cavs, the Spurs, and the Suns on the road since Christmas. Their guards are so young, athletic, and they play great defense, which is hard to come by in the NBA. Shooting could be seen as a weakness outside of Bain. They had Tyus Jones with a bunch of buckets off the bench, but that's not going to be normal. But as long as they make up for it by getting to the line, playing their pace of basketball and playing good defense, watch out. Watch out. So let's talk about hoops since the last pod. Thursday, January 6th, the Knicks beat the Celtics in New York, uh, Madison Square Garden. Fournier put up 41, Tatum 36. We had talked about that. The Suns beat the Clippers 106 to 89. Cameron Johnson with 24 and 7. What a what a big piece he's been to that team this year. 
Let's see. Moving into Friday. The Bucks beat the Nets on the road. Giannis with 31-7-9, the Greek freak. KD with 29-9-7 in defeat. That put the Bucks at 26-15, the Nets at 24-13. And, and this was in Brooklyn, so no Kyrie. They're saying that they do expect Kyrie to be a full-time player. In my preseason prediction, I had assumed that would be the case. So watch out if that is the case. The Lakers beat the Hawks at home 134 to 118 to go to 21 and 19. The Hawks slip in at 17 and 21. LeBron 32, 8, and 9. He's been hot. Trey Young, 25, 9, and 14 in defeat. On Saturday, the Grizzlies beat the Clippers 123 to 108 on the road. Jaron Jackson, 26 and 8. Mark Markeith, or it's Marcus Morris, right? Let me get this correct. Marcus Morris, 29 and 8 in defeat. The Hornets shocked the Bucks at home to go to 21 and 19. This will be another team I'll dive into. The Bucks 26 and 16 at this point. Giannis had 43 and 12 in defeat. Terry Rozier, 28, 4 and 4 in the victory. The Celtics beat the Knicks in Boston this time. Jalen Brown, 22, 11, and 11. Isaiah Quickly, 18, and 4. And then the Heat beat the Suns on the road. The Suns slipping a little bit. They go to 30, and 9. The Heat, 25, and 15. Tyler Hero, 33, 5, and 3. Mikael Bridges, 20.6 assists and defeat. Heading into Sunday. The Nets beat the Spurs in overtime. James Harden had 26, 7, and 12. DeJounte Murray, uh, 19, 9, and 12 in defeat. He's had a, a good, consistent season. Let's see. The Grizzlies beat the Lakers on the road, 127 to 119. Jaron Jackson again, a big game, 21 and 12. LeBron, 35, 9, and 7. It's not the lack of effort for, the Le for LeBron. On Monday, the Hornets win again in Milwaukee or at home against Milwaukee to go to 22 and 19. Terry Rozier, 27, 7, and 4. Chris Middleton, 27, 7, and 11 in defeat. The Blazers beat the Nets in Portland. Anthony Simons, 23, 6, and 11. KD, 28, and 10 in defeat. That lost me a little bit of money right there. On Tuesday, the Grizzlies beat the Warriors. John Morant, 29-5-8. Steph Curry, 27-10-10 in the defeat. Had a little triple-double. Yesterday, the Knicks beating the Mavericks heftily. R.J. Barrett, 32-7-2. One of the best seasons of uh, games of the season. Luka, 21-11. He was ice cold in this game. He had 21 points on 23 shots. One for nine from three. And then the Nets beat the Bulls in Chicago with the big three. James Harden's back. KD, Kyrie. KD had 27 and nine. Kyrie had nine points. Didn't do that much, but James Harden had 25, 16, and seven. And Patty Mills at 21 off the bench. 
They scored 138 points. This team healthy. Watch out. DeMar DeRozan had 19 points. Zach Levine, 22 and 6. And Vucevic, 14 points in the defeat. Huge win for the Nets on the road. And the Kings upset the Lakers in sack. Harrison Barnes, 23 and 7. LeBron, 34, 7 and 6. Makes you wonder what the hell the rest of the team's doing. Well, Trevor Ariza had two points. Westbrook had eight on 14 shots. Avery Bradley, six. Malik Monk, 22. Um, Austin Reeves, 19 off the bench. He needs some help. They need AD back. Peranto. So looking at the standings, the East, it goes Bulls, Nets, Miami, Bucks, Sixers, Cavs, Hornets, Raptors, Wizards, Celtics. The Knicks finding themselves right outside the cutoff. The Hawks making some moves. We'll see if they try to compete for a playoff spot. The West, Suns, Warriors, Grizz, Jazz. The Jazz have been slipping. COVID issues. Rudy, Rudy Gobert has been out. They are not able to win without him. Their guards aren't playing good enough defense. They better figure it out if they want to be a true contender. Mavs, five. Nuggets, six. Jamal Murray, can't wait to see when he comes back. Rumors, Kawhi's coming back for the Clippers. The Clippers are at seven. Lakers, eight. T-Wolves, nine. Blazers, ten. Spurs, Kings outside looking in. We'll see if they can make some moves to get in. And then we got some college basketball action. Not a lot of action since the last pod, but a little bit of action. Let's see. Indiana upsets Ohio State on Thursday, 67-51. to Ohio State takes their third loss. EJ Liddell, only 11 points on 12 shots. He couldn't get going. That was the big difference in this game. Trace Jackson Davis, the sophomore for the, for the Hoosiers, he ended up scoring. Oops, just clicked out of it. 27 points, big game for him in the upset. On Friday, Xavier handled Butler. Saturday, Duke loses to Miami. Paolo Banchero, 20.7 rebounds in the defeat. UCLA back in action, getting a win. They hadn't played for some time. Texas Tech beating the Jayhawks at home. Obaji with 24 points for the Jayhawks. So he had a good game, but it wasn't enough. Bryson Williams, 22 points for Texas Tech. Iowa State gets upset by Oklahoma. 79-66. to Tyrese Hunter had 20 points in the defeat. And Isaiah Brockington with 20 points as well. Four of the five starters for Oklahoma over double digits. Another couple upsets. Oklahoma State beats Texas at home. Missouri beats Alabama at home. In the Texas game, only two players in double digits. Texas shot 27% from three. Just couldn't get a bucket. Only 51 points. Missouri beats Alabama 92-86 to at home. Shackleford had 17 points. Javon Quinterly, 19 points for Alabama. But they let Kobe Brown get 30 points and 13 rebounds for Missouri. LSU beats Tennessee, 
21st-ranked LSU, 18th-ranked Tennessee, little SEC action. Kennedy Chandler with 19 points for Tennessee in defeat. For LSU, it was all about Tari Eason. He had 24 points off the bench. Let's see. And 12 rebounds as well for LSU. Seton Hall ended up beating UConn at home in overtime. Bryce Aiken with 22 points. Kadari Richmond with 27 points off the bench. RJ Cole with 15 points in defeat. Tough loss for the Huskies as they go to 10 and 4. Moving into Sunday, nothing crazy. Monday, a whole bunch of hot garbage. Tuesday, Baylor loses their first game at home. Texas Tech has another huge win. Texas Tech goes to 2 and 3. They win 65 to 62. Four of their five starters for Texas Tech in double fig figures. Akeem Joe for Baylor, 17 points on 14 shots. Flager for Baylor, 17 points in the defeat as well. Huge, huge win for Texas Tech. They're hot right now, the Red Raiders. Auburn, fourth-ranked Auburn beats 24th-ranked uh, Alabama in SEC play. It's all about, in my opinion, the number one pick, Jabari Smith. 25-7 and seven in the victory. Huge game for him. For Alabama, Shackleford had 13 points and Quinterly 14 points in defeat. USC drops one to Stanford on the road. Mobley had 16, 7, and 5 in defeat. The rest of his team didn't help a lot. Two players for Stanford, 21 points. Spencer Jones and Harrison Ingram. Tough loss for the Trojans. Tried telling y'all they're overrated. Kansas escapes Iowa State at home. Very tough game, 62 to 61. Iowa State goes to 13 and 3. Kansas is 13 and 12. Obaji with 22 and 7. He was 4 and 8 from 3. Three of the five starters for Iowa State in double figures. Brockington with 17 and 8. And then yesterday, Villanova came close. It wasn't close for most of the game. And at the end of the game, Xavier battled. Um, Dixon with 15 and 10 for Villanova. Colin Gillespie, 21 points on 20 shots, though. And Justin Moore finished with 19 and 9. For Xavier, Scruggs and Johnson with 15 apiece. Villanova only shot 20% from three. They live and die by the three ball. When we look at the rankings that are a couple days old, my overrated, pretty similar, Arizona. They're at number six. I don't think they're... They're a top 20 team, not a top 10. Auburn, I had overrated at four, but Jabari Smith, I might change my mind there. Four is really high. I think they're like a 10 to 15 team. USC, overrated. They took an L, and I have Houston overrated at 11. Underrated, Villanova's moved up to 14, but I think they're a top 10 team. I think UConn's a top 25 team, even though they lost to Seton Hall. They're an unranked. And Illinois right now is 25. I think they're probably a top 20 team. Finishing up the show, we got some Supercross. Week 1, Anaheim, the first uh, race of the season. 
And what a crazy start to the fucking season. Right out the gate, there was just wrecks. There was just so much action that you typically don't see within a race. But good for me, right out the gates, it was Team Honda, Chase Sexton, my guy, Ken Roxon, out the gate. It seemed like it was Roxon the coach and Sexton the Padawan. Sexton was able to trail Kenny through a lot of the race. He was checking his lines, looking for his moves, trying to make a couple, couldn't do it. But then he wrecked. He started coming back. He wrecked again. But he battled back. He ended up finishing fifth. Muscan edged him out at the end. But watch out. The Sexton kid's going to have a great season. He's looking fast. There was a bunch of other wrecks. Uh, Marvin Muscan took out Malcolm Stewart. He was not happy about that. Jason Anderson crashed. And with all this, Cooper Webb ends up with a second place finish. The defending champion cannot be too upset about that. He didn't have a great race, but he did enough. He was calm, cool, collected to get through. A lot of emotions in the first race. That's probably why there was so much chaos. Webb started sixth. Tomac started 11th. And the, the big news is Barsha couldn't get his three-peat for the um, first event uh, win up for the season. But the way it finished in the 450, Roxon got first, Cooper Webb second, Justin Barsha third, Muscan fourth, Sexton fifth, Tomac sixth on the new Yamaha, Stewart seventh, Plessinger ninth, Jason Anderson 10th on the Kawasaki, Adam Serencerulo 11th, and a disappointing finish for Ferrandis at 16th. For the 250 class, it was all Yamaha. It was all Christian Keg and Seth Hamaker. Even though Hunter Lawrence started 10th, he found a way to finish on the podium. Craig first, Hamaker second, Hunter third, Marchbanks fourth, Joe Shimoda seventh. For... Supercross rounds two through four are all in California. Round two is in Oakland this Saturday. I think it's on Channel USA. Got a different channel packaging for Supercross this year. But what a great start to the season. I'm super excited for the next race. Can't wait for the Seattle uh, event to come. And then some other hitters. We're getting the, the Winter Olympics is starting in February, which means we have the uh, Aspen X Games, January 21 through 23rd. We'll talk a little bit about that on the show. I'm a big skier, you know, big into snowboarding, skiing, that whole scene. Um, the Natural Selection's coming back as well in January. Travis's Rice event, starting in Jackson Hole, going to Bald Face, and then I believe finishing in Alaska again. John Lester announcing reti retirement for MLB. The multiple-time World Series, uh, you know, all-star, stud. I wasn't a fan of the Angels when he brought him to the glory land yet. I wasn't watching baseball. I was too worried about playing Little League. Uh, but great career by John Lester. Some more Angel news. Shohei Otani on the cover of the Global GQ Sports Edition. How cool was that? They had him in, like, old-school gear, looking like Babe Ruth-esque as a two-way player. I thought that was awesome. The first female manager, Rachel Balavich, is hired for the Yankees uh, single-A affiliate, the first women's manager ever. They're busting those barriers down. The ML lockout, you know, the MLB committee or whoever, MLBPA and committee is meeting today. Some people are worried that it's going to go into the season. I pray not. I would love to go to spring training. I can't make plans, though. Um, the things I would like to see them fix, Universal DH, Let's let's let the NL have a DH. 
Please to God, stop changing the baseballs on the players. It's hard enough. And I would love to see an expanded playoff. The fact that the Giants and the Dodgers had to play, you know, they're 105, 110 win teams and teams that win, you know, 95 games can't get in. I would love to see me an expanded playoff. But that's that's it for episode 63. We're cruising, baby. Those are my predictions. I hope you guys like it. Don't forget to check out Fueled Supplements. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for any supplements. It's a new year. You need some protein. You need some pre-workout. Whatever it is, check them out um, at fueledsupplements.com. Go Steelers. We'll see you next week, y'all.